With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of The Cult Vault. I'm your speaker, Casey, and as I mentioned in my previous episode, I'm working really hard to get the final episodes of the year out early so that I can enjoy some family time around the holidays. Thank you to Jess who pointed out that listeners can now head over to Spotify and leave a rating for the show. Thank you to everyone who has already been over to Spotify to leave their ratings. It helps people find the show much quicker. A big hello and welcome to my newest patron, Lucy. Thank you so much for choosing my show to support and helping me to continue putting out this weekly content. I hope you enjoy being a member and listening to the back catalogue of exclusive episodes with many more on the way and find your name on my sponsorship section of the website. To become a patron, you can find me at patreon.com forward slash the cult vault or find the link in the episode description. Also, don't forget that we are still running Download December, where we aim to reach 300,000 downloads by New Year. And if we can achieve this, I will release two episodes a week in January instead of just one. We are getting closer to that target every day. And for anyone who has tuned in, recommended the show to others, subscribed, reviewed, shared the show, thank you so much. And for anyone who interacts with my social media pages, my YouTube channel... There is still time to like, comment and follow me at Colt Vault Pod on Instagram and Twitter for a chance to win Lisa Cohn's book, To the Moon and Back, A Life Under the Influence, about Lisa's time in the Unification Church, aka the Moonies. You can listen to our interview on episode 91 of the podcast. Lastly, before we get to the show, a quick reminder to all UK listeners that CrimeCon 2022 is happening in London on June the 11th and 12th. You can get a 10% discount code on tickets today by using the code COLT at the checkout. You can get a 15% discount by becoming a patron from as little as £1 a month. There is even the option to buy tickets now and pay for them in instalments. If you do decide to join us and come and meet me at CrimeCon, don't forget to use the code COLT at the checkout. Now here we have an interview with Caroline, a person that I am personally inspired by. At only 19 years of age, she has navigated her way out of her high-demand religious group and continues her fight every single day. I do apologise for some of the background noise you may hear in this episode. It was recorded during my period of illness with a sore throat and all of that stuff that comes with having small children. And you may also hear that my two-year-old son is protesting upstairs because he has been moved into his first big bed and transitioning is very difficult. But don't worry, my partner is always with the children and takes great care of them when I am in interviews. Now, here is Caroline. 
Hello, Caroline, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for agreeing to meet with me today and tell us a bit about your experiences with the Latter-day Saints. This is new territory for me and the podcast, so I am looking forward to learning more. Would you like to start by introducing yourself to the listeners? Hi, I'm Caroline. Um, I'm 19. I was a part of the LDS Church for almost 19 years, honestly. I'm just in the process of transitioning and leaving and Um, I'm in school I live in Utah you know I'm just really immersed in that culture so yeah so this is a religion that you were born into yes I was like literally um, from birth I was part of the church my parents um, my dad grew up in the church my mom was converted by my dad Um, they even have this like thing called baby blessings so like literally as soon as the baby is allowed to be out with public um, in the church congregation during our sacrament meetings they bless the baby in front of the entire congregation and that's the first time your records are put into the church so like literally weeks into my birth after my birth I was already um, like put records into the church wow yeah that's uh that's interesting in itself isn't it because there's a there's probably a big conversation there around ethics and uh, and, yep. and kind of individuality and, and free thinking and, and all of that stuff. It comes back around to a conversation that I had with, with Lonnie on a previous episode when we spoke about mm-hmm. Orthodox Judaism um, mm-hmm. and how circumcision with, with newborn yeah. baby boys is that right to do under the practices mm-hmm. of the faith or is it something that should be an individual decision once that person is old enough to perhaps understand what that means and and all of that stuff so mm-hmm. I feel like this kind of falls under that umbrella almost of, of autonomy yeah. because you're having your your personal records entered into some kind of big data system Mm -hmm. before you have the chance to 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 really do anything independently um Mm -hmm. so so what does it mean once you have records in the church what what does that what does that entail yeah so when you have records in the church basically it means that they have your information as to like your address your current address they have your name your date of birth as well as who you're related to Um, so um when you turn eight you have the chance to get baptized and um in the church it's believed that when you're eight you're held accountable for your sins after that age so like before eight if you pass away you're going straight to heaven after eight if you sin and you haven't been baptized and like gone through that process you don't have access to heaven anymore because that's like your um we call it the uh like saving ordinances that you have to perform and baptism is one of them. Um, so that's when like your official official records are put in when you have to like put like actual governmental documents that are notarized to the church, letting them know you want your records pulled. Yeah, it's like a whole process. So with the baby blessing, it just kind of means that you are tied to your parents now. Your uh, It has all of your parents' records of if they've been sealed, baptized and endowed. And then um, you as a baby have been blessed by them. And so now it's kind of like this family tree of all of the blessings and like covenants and ordinances that you've done under the church. And it records everything from that point on after you've been put in as to like what you've done for the church. 
and like the things that the church has done for you to be saved. So a pretty extensive record then of, of yeah. your commitments and contributions. That is, that's pretty heavy going. I mean, we're only a few yeah. minutes into the episode and that's already kind of pretty hefty. Yeah. Um, although someone listened to an episode the other day and said uh, that it wasn't fair to try and um, unravel Orthodox Judaism in a, in a three hour interview. And that was mm-hmm. a very fair point to make. Um, and and the, the, the commenter was surprised by my reactions to some of the high demanding controlling aspects of, of Judaism um, and said that, you know, prayer before meal is mm-hmm. very common across many faith based yeah. movements, um, which which was a very um, understandable comment to make. And I just wanted to, to, to let people know that I'm atheist myself, so I'm not very well versed in the practices of these more high demanding faith based groups. So that's probably where my reactions come from. And uh, to, to somebody who says grace before every meal, that's probably not a big deal. But for somebody like me, who's never experienced all of those things, it seems like a big responsibility to take yeah. on and a lot to remember so I just wanted to clarify that that's kind of uh, why sometimes my reactions might seem a little bit over exaggerated oh. to somebody that has been in one of these faith-based groups because this to me although it may sound like second nature to everybody else you know to kind of have your information mm-hmm. kept by the church that to me is like pretty extreme already and uh it seems like already you, you you're having your kind of future mapped out for you and decisions made for you and, and it's already very oh, yeah. difficult for you to take a step away if that's what you decide to do yeah when you're when you're a bit more independent well in the church the way they keep their records is very very intensely so what they do is um, anytime you move, you're required to register. So um, our congregations are called wards and a bishop oversees a ward. So every time you move, you are required to move your membership records over to the new bishop. And so they have to like, they use it to track you, follow you where you go. Um, and that's actually the reason I chose to remove my records. And I'm going through that process right now is because they will send missionaries to your home because they find your address. And they will send like people from the church to your home to continuously like, and they don't think it's harassment, but it is to a certain degree of like constantly trying to get you to come to church, come to activities, come to different things. And um, I know a lot of people who like, they like it's years down the road, 10, 20 years down the road, they have kids, they have grandkids and people will come and harass the kids then. And they will try and get like the kids numbers and different things. So I just want to remove my records now and just like not have to deal with the consequences with my family um, in the future being involved and then being harassed because of my choices to leave, but not pulling my records. Yeah. So So even though it's probably purposefully quite a lengthy and difficult process, it's one mm -hmm. worth doing for somebody who no longer wants to be affiliated with that faith just to protect Mm -hmm. the identities and autonomy of future family members you said that you are in school and you're in Utah is this where you grew up yes I grew up in Utah my mom's from Brazil so I also spent a lot of time there because it was really important for my family to like want us to have a relationship with both sides of the family so we would spend a lot of time in Brazil um 
but yeah, I grew up in Utah. Like this is where my home was. This is where like a lot of my relationships were. I went to school always in Utah. So it's where I've been surrounded. It's the culture that I'm used to. Yeah. When you said that your mom was converted into Mm -hmm. the LDS church, Mm -hmm. that kind of makes more sense now because she is originally from another country. So Mm -hmm. would you say that if she were what was originally from Utah, then she herself may have been brought up in the LDS church anyway? Is that kind of the main faith that's practiced in that area? Oh yeah, it's de- it's for sure. It's it's definitely known as the Mormon state. Like here in the United States, that's usually the first question that's asked if you are say if you're from Utah. They're like, oh, you're Mormon. Um, and so yeah, so it's notoriously known as the Mormon state. Um, like Mormons settled the valley. They were the first person here after the Native Americans. Um, and so like that was just kind of like the big thing that Utah's known for. Um, I joke, like, I remember one time I was with my roommate and we were driving home and I was like, I want to take a shot every time I see a church. And he was like, if you do that, you're going to die. Because like, <laughs> like, even within 10 minutes, we had passed five churches. Sometimes like there will be churches kitty corner to each other because there's like such a high density population of LDS people here. So, so you are so- sort of in the heart of the Bible Belt. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. We're in the Midwest. Right. So the yeah, so the Bible Belt is the South, and Utah is like the Midwest. It uh, we call it the uh, Mormon tie actually, because there's like Idaho above us, and then Utah and Arizona, and all of those are like highly concentrated Mormon states. Right. So now we're kind of speaking about Mormonism. Just mm-hmm. to just to clarify for 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 myself and some of the listeners who might not be too yeah. familiar with the subject. It's Mormonism kind of like Christianity as the big umbrella that has loads of kind of uh, tangents that come off of it. And LDS is, is one of those branches off of, of Mormonism as a as an kind of a title faith. Yeah, so there's a lot of debate. I personally think they're Christians. Um, a lot of people say we aren't Christians because we don't believe in the Holy Trinity specifically. We believe that God, the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, which we call the Holy Ghost, are three separate entities. A lot of people who are Catholic or Christian believe that they are one Holy Trinity. Um, So that's like the biggest differentiation that like a lot of people debate whether or not we are Christians or not, but we do believe in Christ. So like, I, I, that's why I believe we're Christians is because that's our fundamentalist belief. Right, right. right. And when you when you were to, to, to meet new people before you mm-hmm. left the church, would you say I'm Mormon or would you say I'm from the LDS church? Um, so originally I would say I'm Mormon. Uh, I would say, or I would say I'm LDS. Um, but recently the new prophet, his name's Russell M. Nelson. Um, he came, sorry, I think it's so ridiculous. But um, he came out with a statement saying that when we use the title Mormon to describe ourselves, we are giving Satan power. Um, Right. Yeah. And so he's like, when you introduce yourself, like, I don't even want you guys saying LDS. I want you saying I'm part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And a lot of people were like, no, fuck that shit. But like a lot of other people were like, yes, like we can't give Satan power. He's our prophet. He's like the one true leader. Like everything he does goes. 
But I was like, literally, like, years earlier, you spent so much money doing, like, I'm a Mormon, meet the Mormons, like, movie and all of this doctrination. But... The Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or LDS Church, or or however you want to abbreviate it, or or speak about it, is a branch of Mormonism. So why does it no longer want to be associated with the title of Mormon? I'm going to be really honest, I have no idea. I'm like... I was still part of the church when that was released and I was like I'm not correcting people if they call me Mormon um no our main book that we're known for is the book of Mormon like a lot of people that's how they are able to tie the two together why would we destroy that tie um I think a lot of I think I I don't know I think maybe it was just kind of like we really want to push the church out there so like when they say Mormon we're like no 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 we're the church Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints but I really don't see the difference. Um, And especially because there was so much like advertising and different things of like Mormon, 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 Mormon. And so it was just kind of like, that's like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's what we are. So So just a a couple of more questions on the um, introductory side, because we've Mm -hmm. never covered this. I always like to ask people a little bit of kind of, uh, the history of a, a movement when we, when we introduce a, a new group and and uh, we have covered Mormonism but mm-hmm. it was a very specific sect of Mormonism that, uh, that, that that remained pretty much anonymous in the episode because of mm-hmm. family members that could still be I'm not sure if you you listened to the episode but potential oh, yeah. uh, yeah, so a very specific mm-hmm. uh, anonymous branch of, of Mormonism that has probably yeah. uh, come from branches off of branches off of branches mm-hmm. of, of, of various uh, different variations of Mormonism. So can mm-hmm. you tell people um, who, who might not be familiar with the movement, who was Joseph Smith? How, what is the Book of Mormon? All of that good stuff for us to kind of then look at the uh, the. G- Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Church specifically in your experiences yeah so that do you want me to just like be like the history that's taught to us as Mormons yeah that would be perfect yeah okay cool because I was like there's two different stories so in 18 so we believe that there was this boy named Joseph Smith and he was born in Palmyra New York I believe and this was during um, a time when it was like super turbulent and with religion of a lot of people were like, this is a true religion, this is a true religion. And um, nobody really knew what it was. And so he was really confused and he just wanted to know what the true religion was. He wanted to devote himself to God. Um, so when he was about 12 years old, he was reading the Bible and he came across James chapter one, verse five. Um, and it says, if you lack knowledge, um, just ask of God. And so he was like, I, I need to ask God, like, I need to figure this out. And he kind of just really mulled over that verse for about two years. Um, and when he was 14, he decided to enter a grove of trees behind his home on a farm. Um, he lived on a farm and he decided to enter a grove of trees, which we call the sacred grove. Um, and in that grove of trees, he knelt and he started a prayer to God. And this is the first prayer he ever uttered out loud. Um, and what he basically was asking is like, God, what's the one true religion? 
And while he was praying, um, he was seized by this terrible power, it says. Um, and darkness overcame him and seized his tongue and his mind was filled with such horrible visions and things that one can never imagine and fathom. Um, and he just, he felt like he was going to finally succumb to this darkness and pass away when a pillar of light um, or a beam of light appeared above his head. And God said, Joseph, this is my beloved son, hear him. Um, and so that's what it was, is God the Father and Jesus Christ appeared to him in person. And they answered his questions and they had a conversation with him and he asked them what is the one true church and God the Father said there is no true church currently on this earth but I'm going to have you found the true church um, because like people have pieces of what is true and what isn't but you're going to have the full truth now um, and so he was like oh this is awesome and so God was like don't go back and attend other gospels now because now you know the truth so he came back from that vision in the grove of trees and he was like, I got this. I, I have the true knowledge now. And, um, and so then he went to his room and he pondered over the things that he had learned and he went to bed that night. Um, but then he was awakened by a really bright light in his room, brighter than anything anybody could fathom. Um, and there was this dude named Moroni. Um, and Moroni is a prophet of old in the Book of Mormon, and he basically spoke to Joseph, and he was like, I'm going to take you to the golden plate, and upon the golden plate was what's written, um, the Book of Mormon, and he's like, I'm going to show you this, this gospel, and he took him to the golden plate on Hill Cumorah, and he like removed the rock and he showed him and he was like, you are not allowed to remove them. We're going to go back every single day on the, like, uh, not every single day, um, every year on the same day for four years. And you were going to see these golden plates and you're going to put the rock back and then you're, and then you're going to go back and do your life and do your thing. Um, and then on the fourth year, um, when he saw it, he was like, you are now prepared to finally um, translate the golden plate. Um, so Joseph removed the golden plates along with a thing called the Urim Thummim, um, which is like a rock. And I don't know what the Thummim is. I just know what the Urim is because um, we never were really told. We were just told it's like a rock. Um, and that's how he translated the golden plate. We don't, uh, well, it's now been revealed to us now. But um, growing up, I never knew how he translated it. I just knew there was a rock and I was just assumed you know, it was through God's power. Um, so he would have like a sheet uh, covering like in the middle, splitting him. And he would be reading to a scribe and the scribe would be writing down what he's reading. Um, and that's how he translated the Book of Mormon. Um, and he did that. And then he published the Book of Mormon and the rest is history. Um, he published the Book of Mormon and went on to found this church. A lot of people followed him. Um, and he was persecuted. He was driven from his home. Like he was tarred and feathered and um, his family just was destroyed because of it. And eventually he was a martyr because people killed him in um, Liberty Jail. He was with his brother um, and like two other people, if I remember right. And they shot him dead uh, because of his belief is, is what we're taught. Um, 
if that's the truth, I don't think so because I have read things otherwise, but that's what we're taught is he was a martyr because he refused to renounce that he hadn't seen God and he refused to say that it wasn't true and like tell his dying breath he died for this religion. So um, that's his story. And then they moved over to Utah because the Mormons were so heavily persecuted and they settled in Utah and went out on missions and continued to found the church and settle it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. from, from my teachings, all, all of that area of America was pretty difficult to inhabit at first. And, and there was mm-hmm. a lot of trials and tribulations around trying to actually implement a, a flourishing society but now oh yeah so kind of utah and salt lake city and, and all of those areas seem to be pretty well built up um mm-hmm. and, and and doing very well and, and very much inhabitable at this point yeah so it was like desert like there was nothing here and um when brigham young was like this is the place people were like um no <laughs> like it was just desert it, there was so, nothing it was desolate who is Brigham Young because I think he's quite poignant in terms of oh of, yeah of, uh, this this movement yeah so Joseph Smith died and then we were like we need another prophet like who the fuck are we gonna follow and um and so Brigham Young was like he did he didn't step up uh the story is that they were at a general conference like the group of Mormons were talking and they were at a conference and he was he was one of the apostles and he was speaking and everybody felt that they heard and saw Joseph Smith's spirit in Brigham Young and so they were like he's he's the prophet now he's the next prophet that's how we know um so Brigham Young then reluctantly took on the the uh, presidency and prophetness um and he became the next prophet in line after Joseph Smith. And so he was now the next leader of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he's the one who guided the pioneers across the plains. Yeah. So now when people talk of BYU and, and Brigham Young University, mm-hmm. that's that's kind of who that figure is and where he came from. And mm-hmm. And BYU is quite poignant in terms of where people who live, in, where you live, might consider mm-hmm. going for their further education uh, mm-hmm. uh, instead of perhaps branching out to other uh, universities that could provide the same courses uh, without the Mormon aspect attached to them. Yeah. Um, and the and the only reason I, I brought that up was because there's been a lot of um, information coming out around the lgbt community and and kind of what's going on at the byu campus at the moment so you're agreeing with me and not along there which is which is really good because that is definitely something that i want to touch on later anybody who is a who is a repeat listener of this show will know that we always discuss different community groups um Mm -hmm. specifically um this community group and 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 how they are often Mm -hmm. persecuted still in these uh, faith-based groups who try to position themselves as uh you know pioneers and, and people who are bringing religion into the into the new world uh in mm-hmm. kind of uh, air quotes and yet still persecute particular community groups which yep. again is just is just baffling so um before we move on to your personal story I just wanted to ask if you could 
tell us, well, I should ask first, really, what is the other version of the history of Mormonism that you said? Well, there were there are two, but here's the one that we're taught. I mean, what's the other one? I, I guess we should we should learn that first. Yeah. Um, so keep in mind this. OK, well, I shouldn't say keep in mind. This is it's, it's pretty true. There's a lot of documents and different things that are used to solidify this evidence. This isn't coming from like a place of like, oh, I'm an ex-Mormon and I'm mad at the church and I want to throw it down. Cause like, that's something that you're taught is like, is a lot of ex-Mormons are just here to destroy your testimony. So um, if you want to join the church, that's great. Like do your research and do different things. Um, Cause it can be a really good group for people, but like just understand that there are some shady things about the history. So um, originally, apparently Joseph Smith, when he was about 12 or 13, he was convicted in a court of law for um, some like, oh, what's it called? I can't remember the word now. Um, conning, he was a con man. Theft, I was gonna say theft, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what he would do is he would have people pay him money to find treasure because a spirit would inhabit him and be able to help him find treasure. And what he would do is he would put a rock in a hat and look inside the hat with his face down, like inside the hat and be looking in the ground and he would be like, oh, treasure's here. And he would have them dig and dig and dig. And he was like, oh, no, now it's been moved and they couldn't find it. And then he would just take their money and run. Um, and that's apparently, like, I literally found this out like a year and a half ago while I was still in the church. That's apparently how he translated the Book of Mormon was he put a rock in a hat and looked down at the Book of Mormon. That's I really no interesting idea. because I, I, when I briefly learned about Joseph Smith many, many, many mm -hmm. moons ago, it was under the pretense that he was a con man. Um, yeah. Well, well, not under the pretense that he was a con man. Well, it was basically yeah. the, the way that you've just laid it out in, in like, here's the Mormon history the mm -hmm. official story that congregants and followers are, are taught here's mm -hmm. kind of the other story that exists um yeah. so me as like maybe a 14 15 16 year old kind of knew that joseph smith was mm -hmm. a questionable character for somebody yeah. kind of speaking out on the outside uh, not in, not involved in the lds church so it's really strange yeah. for me to think that you had spent your whole life immersed in this faith to only not knowing that yeah have found this out a year or two ago yeah um, yeah that's really that's really bizarre so sorry sorry to cut you off there but but no but please carry totally on good. and uh, and tell us uh, a little bit more about this this uh yeah so that was like the first thing that I was like, that's high key a red flag, especially because there was documents to support it. Like there was actual trial paperwork. So it wasn't just like, oh, like this is slander. Like this is like actual supported evidence. Um, but also like the fact that they hid how he translated the Book of Mormon. I'm just kind of like, like, y'all, why didn't you tell us this? Um, but also then to continue on later, so I don't know how much you know, but like in temples, there's a thing called the, uh, the endowment ceremony and the sealing ceremony. So those are two other saving ordinances that you have to receive. Um, and basically like they're, um, like the endowment ceremony is where you like, you go through and you receive like, uh, undergarments, cold garments, 
um, which are like sacred underwear that we uh, that that they wear. And then the sealing ceremony is like a marriage ceremony, but it's for time and all eternity. Um, but he had established them um, a couple weeks after he had finished becoming um, indoctrinated, like, I don't, I don't know if it's indoctrinated or like inducted into like the messianic group. Um, and they have shocking similarities. <laughs> um, they're basically copied, like copies of what he did to get inducted into the messianic group um, with like different handshakes and different things. It's like literally copy and paste. Um, it's, it's kind of startling, um, but it was like, you have to keep this secret. You have to keep this hush hush. And honestly, I found out through ways that I could technically like get in a lot of trouble for. Um, cause this was during kind of my leaving and I was like, I know I'm never going to be able to go through the temple and I'm curious what these sacred and secret ordinances are. I want to know more about them because like my whole life I was taught these are the most important ordinances of your life and I know I'm never going to receive them. So I want to know now. And so I found out through other ways. Um, and that's how I found out about the messianic rituals. And I was just like, that's freaky. Like, that's so weird. Um, and and like you make blood oaths in the temple and different things and it's just it's a really weird like very culty kind of experience and indoctrination um and so that was something that he did he also wanted to keep it hush hush because he was marrying 13 no 14 year old is the youngest that he married up to like really old women who were also married to other people and pregnant sometimes um, but that's the reason he wanted to keep it secret was because that way it wouldn't like leak out that he's marrying um, what the church likes to say a few months shy of 15. Um, that's how they describe it in one of their documents is she was a few months shy of 15. So she was 14 is, is what they're trying to say without saying it. And people say it's very common for the times, but it actually really isn't like 88%, I believe, of people were married at 22, young like women. And it was very unlikely that you were married about like under your 20s during that time. Like it, it wasn't common anymore to be marrying 12, like 13, 14 year old girls. Um, so yeah, so he, he would marry children basically and, and different things. Um, and then like that was just kind of that whole like ceremony and polygamy was really kind of started with him. Um, and then with like the martyr story, um, this, this is more speculation. We don't have too much information, but it was found out that he actually had a gun with him um, in the room that he was trapped in. And they, like, he was fighting back and he actually accidentally got shot because he was fighting back is what um, is told by some of the people who actually give you a tour of Liberty Jail. Um, so he wasn't actually a martyr. He was actually able to fight back and he was fighting back. He didn't go down peacefully and in the name of God. Um, so that was just kind of a really big shock too. And then, so yeah. And um, I had also just recently found out like Brigham Young was a polygamist, like things like that I had no idea about and it's not discussed in the church. Um, so it was just kind of really startling all of this history and information to come to light. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of that immersed in the church history that is not discussed mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. or taught. So 
So when you say that this isn't taught in the church history, you're talking about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. Perhaps not discussing, which was going to be my next question on sort of the origins and the history and a brief introduction to this movement, the fundamentalist Mm -hmm. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mm -hmm. which is different in its practices and belief systems than the LDS Church. So there's the LDS Church that you're a part of, and then there is the FL ds church Mm -hmm. so they are two different things and i wondered if you would be able to just briefly talk the listeners through the notable differences that you as somebody on the outside might be like oh this is the lds church and this is Mm -hmm. this is the flds church and this is how i know the difference between the two yeah so this is actually something that's joked a lot about in utah so you can actually tell the difference between like if somebody's flds versus like if they're not um so like it's definitely a lot more controlling than this church is the 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 lds church is very high demand but the flds church i have so much heartache for the people who are in that church um specifically the girls and women so their hair is combed in a very specific way Um, And that's like one of the biggest things, like if you go to like Costco or something, like you can tell, like if you go to a grocery store or something, you can tell somebody's FLDS um, because their hair is combed in a certain way. It's always pulled back in like a braid or something specifically for the females. Um, They have like, they're like all the way down to their wrists covered. They're wearing skirts. They're never wearing pants. Um, And usually like um, there's several women and several children with one man, you can see. and like the boys typically like they have like button downs and like long sleeve shirts and like not like super fancy pants but like dress pants ish um, or like khakis or something like that more kind of business casual. Um, so you can tell the difference just within the dress but within the religion itself they are definitely more strict on um, like, like music, reading, movies, different things like that. Um, and they are they do believe in polygamy and practice polygamy. So the church was taught, like, basically, I remember growing up, and I was just taught that they, like, wanted to um, practice polygamy, and polygamy was evil, and they wanted to keep that up, and they just kind of were um, a faithless group who wanted to persecute people and bring down the LDS name. That, that's what I was taught, is they just wanted to defame us and ruin the LDS name. Um, and and so yeah so they that's the biggest difference is they do practice polygamy we don't I was taught that the LDS church never practiced polygamy but that like people in Utah had practiced polygamy and they were excommunicated from the church and the church would not tolerate it in any way um so that's why the people started the FLDS church instead so that's where I for a long time believe it originated was from people who were bitter that they were removed from the church um because they wanted to practice polygamy even though the prophet had said no and re- refused to practice it himself and that's a, that's a such an excellent summary you've you've given us like such a very brief but concise introduction i believe into mormonism and the lds church and the flds church which is important because when we are discussing mormonism i feel like it's almost like the discussion I had on another episode that is going to be released shortly. It's, it's almost like when you discuss Judaism, mm-hmm. you can't discuss it without the 
and 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 then they're not similar in any way and I don't want people to think that I'm trying to draw parallels I'm just I'm just I'm just talking about association in terms of when we talk about Judaism there is always the subject of the Holocaust and the Mm -hmm. awful historical genocide that happened in terms of and and even the 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 ongoing Israeli war zone yeah I mean there are a lot of things to be said about the identity that 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 starts to attach itself to these Mm faith-based groups and I feel like polygamy is absolutely something that is attached to Mormonism and 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 kind of perhaps skews people's perceptions of of what the Mormon church is um Mm -hmm. without perhaps realizing that there are there are two different major branches of mormonism mm-hmm. that are lds and flds and in my first episode i spoke a lot about warren jeffs and how people do consider him a, a cult leader mm-hmm. uh, because he married many women of all ages many under the age of 16 had children yeah. with, with many of these women um and and a very difficult subject matter to speak about and admirably a lot of these women have come forward to speak about their personal interactions with Warren Jeffs and Mm -hmm. when I created my new logo for the for the for the for the podcast which included a lot of notable cult leaders Warren mm-hmm. Jeffs actually was one of them uh, because mm-hmm. after reading a lot of testimonies and stories about people that had had interactions or experiences with him, it was clear that he had very, very meticulous cult-like methods of control that he was inflicting on his followers and his members. So yeah. even though there, there, there is a lot of high demand in the LDS church, I feel like it's really mm-hmm. important to kind of make that distinction here for people who mm-hmm. might be new to the Mormon faith in terms of what they know or what they don't know or people Mm -hmm. who might not know the distinction between the two branches that exist in the LDS church and the FLDS church so today we're going to be Mm -hmm. talking about the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and your particular experience now we Mm -hmm. know that you were born into it that your mom was a converted LDS member Mm -hmm. And she went on to marry your father. And Mm -hmm. what does that initiation into the LDS church look like if you're not somebody born into it? Yeah, so typically it's usually through missionaries. So um, between the ages of 18 through 22 for men, and I believe it's 19 through 23 for women, um, you are able to do this thing called uh, and serve a mission for the church. And so you serve two years of your life in somewhere that the church has assigned you. And you go and just basically try and recruit people back into the church and do service work and different things. Um, so that's how my mom met my dad actually is he served a mission in Brazil and he had met her. And these missionaries will come and give you lessons about the church. They start with the first vision, which is uh, Joseph Smith seeing Jesus Christ and God in the grove. Um, and then they move from there about teaching about the church. And um, finally, when you're ready, um, what they do is they set a baptism date. And so that's when you go and you get baptized um, and you are cleansed of your sins. And then you follow that with um, receiving the Holy Ghost. 
Um, so we believe that there's a difference between the gift of the Holy Ghost and having the power of the Holy Ghost. Um, so like when you have the power of the Holy Ghost, it means you are worthy and you have received the blessing to have the Holy Ghost constantly as your companion. Um, so that's like the first step into the church is that baptism. And then um, if you have been, if you were like a convert and you've been baptized um, and you're older than like 18 or so, you have to wait about a year before you can enter the temple. And so then you receive a temple, uh, uh, like a temple recommend from your bishop and you are able to do first baptisms for the dead. And then when your bishop feels that you are worthy and when you feel you are prepared, then you go and you receive your endowment. Um, and then when you're ready to get married to a male or a female, depending on your gender, um, then you go and get sealed when you wanna get married. So um, that's just kind of that process. So my dad baptized my mom and then after his mission, he came back and they wanted to get married. Um, so they had like a ceremony for her parents to attend in Brazil and then they moved to Utah and they got sealed and married in the Salt Lake City Temple. Um, and his parents and family attended that marriage ceremony. Um, and so yeah, so then like the rest is history. My mom has been part of the church her entire life now, uh, like since and she's been converted for the rest of her life. And my dad has always remained very devout. Um, and they raised me and my younger brother in the church. Right. And it's, it's, uh, that was going to be my next question. So it's you and your younger brother are the, all the children that your parents had. Um, so I actually have an older brother. It's kind of complicated, but like basically he's adopted into our family. Um, he is, he's technically a cousin of my mom's, but like I view him as an older brother figure and he, he's basically a sibling into our family. Um, so he like went, went with my mom to a lot of church meetings when she was like going to church and whatnot with the missionaries. And he actually ended up getting baptized. He served a mission and everything. Um, so I have also an older brother who he wasn't like raised in the church, but he started going to church at around age eight with my mom. A pretty standard American family in terms mm -hmm. of kind of, you know, parents, children attending church related activities. Yeah. And what would you say were the, daily and weekly commitments expected of devoted members of the LDS church where you grew up? Yeah, so it depends on your age. Um, you obviously went to church every single Sunday. Um, and then there was this group for women called Relief Society. And then there's a group for men called the priesthood. And then they would have activities during the week that you um, weren't necessarily required to attend, but you were highly encouraged to attend um, for socialization and whatnot. Um, and then as adults, um, it was basically uh, like recommended to you and very heavily encouraged if you live close enough to a temple, temple to be attending at least once a week, um, to be attending as often as you can and to be a temple worker. Um, and then as a child, you are part of this group called Primary, um, where you're taught songs and different things about the church to learn more about the faith. And then you attend activity days as a girl and scouts as a boy. And you learn different things that they believe your gender needs to learn and believe and know how to do. Um, and then when you turn 12, we go off into young women's and young men's. And they have um, weekly activities that you, um, 
are highly encouraged to attend. If you aren't attending them, they will actually stop by your house and ask what's wrong, what's going on, why aren't you attending these activities? Um, so you don't want to miss them too much. Um, otherwise, they stop by and ask you. Um, so you attend those until you turn 18, and then that's when you graduate into Relief Society and Priesthood. So there's a lot of kind of activities and different things. Um, and then in high school, so kind of from ages 14 to 18, like 13, 13, 14, 17, 18, all the way through those ages, um, you are required to attend seminary. Um, and seminary is just kind of like another class in school where you attend and you learn about doctrine. And it's just kind of like a church class. Um, I wasn't able to attend during the day. Um, like it wasn't a class period I could sign up for because I had too full of a schedule. So I would go at six in the morning before school. And I would just be there every single day for an hour in that church building, um, just being taught by my seminary teacher for about four years. So you were required to attend those. You have to graduate seminary. Um, and especially if you're part of the church and you want to go to like BYU or our church sanctioned school, like if you don't graduate seminary, you're not getting in. Um, so like those are things that are like highly encouraged. Nothing's like incredibly required for sure, but it's highly encouraged. <laughs> um, that you do these things, that you go to these things and that you bring your friends and do all these different things to encourage them to come with you. So, yeah. So when you were growing up in the church and mm -hmm. you had a lot of time around faith-based activities, would you say mm -hmm. that it was primarily your parents that encouraged you to be an active member of the church or was it you yourself who wanted to be a part of that community? Um, as I got older, I definitely um, distanced myself more and more. Um, but like when I was a kid, I loved it. You go and hang out with friends and you eat treats at these activities. Who, what kid wouldn't want to do that? Like you just go and, and you learn how to sew and you have friends with your friends and you eat food. Like like as an eight-year-old that sounds ideal <laughs> like that's a beautiful Wednesday afternoon to get out of your homework you know and so like I didn't mind but as I got older and specifically um about no yeah I would say maybe 12 as soon as I entered Young Women's I just kind of started um having a lot of questions and different things not not about the church but about myself um and I have recently come to realize that I'm asexual but um I just, I remember growing up, it was really heavily encouraged in my family that you get an education. Um, like that was something that I saw a lot that my dad really like encouraged my mom to get an education. Um, and so like, that was something that I was taught is like, you are getting a college education, you are going to college or you're going to trade school or something like you don't stop at high school. And so I always really wanted to like go to college and I didn't want to get married in college because in Utah, if you get married, you're expected to have a child usually within the first year of marriage if you're in the church. And I was like, I don't want to have kids while I'm in school because I know how hard that is to have kids and be going to school full time. Um, and so I wanted to finish school first and then prioritize my family. Um, and so that was like pretty unique for me. And honestly, I was very discouraged for doing that and thinking that because the family is central unit to the church. That's like literally a phrase that said is the family is a core or central unit of the church. Um, 
and it's what it's built upon and um, to not have that be your primary focus as a woman to want to have children to want to raise a family and be a mother and a wife that was highly discouraged and something that was not good um, so to not want to be married to not want to have kids um, and and to not even not to want to babysit kids in the ward like that was just something that was just like really heavily like what's wrong with you kind of a thing and so for a really long time I was kind of like I don't know what's wrong with me I don't know what I'm doing wrong and I remember during like temple ceremonies sometimes I would go to the bathroom and just sob and just like pray to God to like change me in some way to like want to enjoy young children and and they're and I'm a very independent person so their lack of independence their reliance and and um, I just can never, I, I've always struggled with that. Um, mm-hmm. And so as I got older, it just was harder and harder for me to go to church and to, for me to want to be in church because I felt so wrong and um, just disgusting in a way for not having these feelings and having these emotions and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to want to encourage the girls to also continue on this path, especially as I got older you're you are required to like want to indoctrinate these girls and in lessons I would be like you don't have to have a family right out of the gate and they'd be like yeah well like you don't have to have family right out the gate but it's like you should really be like preparing yourself for a family and I was like yeah but like there are other experiences out there like travel get an education have fun like live your life and they're like yes but like you should settle down and have a family and so I just would like get pulled aside by my bishop I would get in trouble with like my young woman leaders of like these are things you shouldn't be saying in church like, like, these are not part of the doctrine. You should be encouraging families. Families are such a core unit to the church. So I would just get in a lot of trouble for that. And so it just made it harder. And so my parents would force me to go to church, force me to go to seminary um, as I got older because I became more of an independent thinker and, and that's not encouraged um, for good reason. It must have <laughs> been difficult though, growing up in that environment because you're obviously a very strong-willed person and you're yeah. growing up with basically from, from from what you've told me mixed messages you're you're being told that you should go on to further education but almost yeah. like being told as long as it's BYU and then being yeah. told that you know you should want to be independent in your life but settle down and get married and have a family it's mm. it's like a lot of very different messages and I wonder if the messages are different for men and women or if they're different yeah. for Mormons versus non-Mormons uh or sorry LDS members versus okay. non-LDS members I yeah. wonder if it's different in terms of people that are committed to the church in terms of going out and pioneering and people that don't pioneer it's it's a lot of that kind of us versus them that, that I've spoken about yeah. in another recent episode around Seventh-day Adventism but Mm -hmm. it sounds like for somebody that's very passionate and motivated and and wants to be independent that that you're getting a lot of very mixed messages um Mm -hmm. I often use Mormonism as a reference in my episodes to talk about why people find it so difficult to leave a faith-based group when the communities are so insular because I spoke to somebody once who said, well, I can't leave because I live in a Mormon community and I have a Mormon roofing company. And if I leave, no one will employ me anymore because they're all Mormons and, and I w- will no longer be Mormon. And, and nobody wants a non-Mormon doing their roof work. So they'll just go and employ a different 
Mormon roofing company to do their work. So he was very, very much disenchanted with with the faith itself, but decided to stay just because he needed to support his family, which was very yeah. big by that point uh, because mm-hmm. of the kind of the doctrines around family and encouraging big families and and uh, and um all of that stuff around protection during sex and all and all of that all of that stuff so it was a very interesting conversation to have with him so if anybody is ever wondering why I always bring up Mormonism to highlight that particular thought that I have it's it's because I always seem to come back to this this guy who really did want to break away but couldn't and 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 it came back to a lot of conversations that we've had on the show with Jehovah's Witnesses who are maybe physically in mentally out because they don't want to risk the shunning process that comes with mm-hmm. leaving the church and then no longer having access to family and friends that 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 they need or uh, or these people that are all that they know so yeah. I just wanted to kind of draw attention to that. Um, but in aside from your your days and weeks committed to the church, which in itself seems like a pretty big task, what did your education look like as somebody that grew up in Utah, a heavily based Mormon community? Yeah, um, so I went to public schools um, most of my life. Um, so like I said, an education was incredibly valued in my family. So it was something that was always taught as like you do well in school and different things like that. Um, but like a lot of our education, like I remember my freshman year of high school, this is your first year of high school. Um, um, we were in my biology class and we were having a discussion about evolution. And before he could even start, he was like, I just want to preface this with I'm not trying to push my beliefs on you I'm not trying to tell you that we came from monkeys I am not trying to tell you that these things are wrong I'm just teaching you science I am teaching you the fact that things change over time and like they don't remain the exact same so like like specifically within the animal kingdom we are talking about that we are not talking about humans and like he had to preface with that and a lot of my classes specifically within science and sexual education and different things like that had to preface a lot with like I'm just giving you very basics I'm not trying to push ideas or thought processes on you this is just required education and if you like have issues please tell your parents to email me and I will do my best to accommodate because it was just so like highly like it's such a heavily documented like is like highly prevalent church in in our in our group and so like we control a lot of what is taught and so like I remember my sexual education course um in middle school specifically um we were never taught about the female reproductive system I remember like yeah exactly like it, it was kind of startling like looking back now Um, We were always like, did like the little chart where you had to like point out the different like pieces of what the reproductive Mm -hmm, system mm -hmm. is. We only ever did that for males. We never did that for females. Like we talked very basics about periods, but that was it. We didn't talk about pads. We didn't talk about tampons. We didn't talk about menstrual cups. Like 
we just were like girls have periods they usually have them for about once a week it usually happens when you start hitting puberty cool wash our hands of this let's move on to wet dreams like and and that was just kind of the biggest thing and then in high school we went a little bit more in depth into it of like periods like show that you're ovulating and you're and you're not pregnant and that was a little bit more to the extent of like you're not pregnant and that was it we weren't taught about like what is sex like we were taught that like the sperm and the egg connect but we weren't taught how to make the sperm and the egg connect um so like we didn't know about like like teaching about pre-cum or anything like that like that can get you pregnant we didn't we weren't taught about condoms like I know people like talk about their condom de demonstration where like you're taught how to put a condom on like that was never a thing we weren't taught about STDs or or anything like that which honestly is super super dangerous um in my opinion um or or even birth control like that was like a big no-no word um is like we birth control do not say that word at all um so like just really nothing was taught and it's just kind of really frustrating in that sense of like I had to relearn basically everything on my own mm -hmm. um and even within my own family like it was just not something that was discussed um my mom taught me about periods and that was it um and so yeah so that was just kind of my education and and otherwise it was a really great education like I'm really grateful for it I I learned a lot of really cool things and was able to do a lot of stuff, but a lot of it was definitely heavily veiled um, and things that I had to learn on my own. And like some of it was honestly even secretive that I had to learn on my own um, because I would get in trouble for like learning what is sex and, and different things um, because like I would be like looking at porn, but I really wasn't. I was just like literally like on Google, like looking at like the egg and the yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Or what? What are the different parts of my female anatomy? Exactly. Oh, like, I, I didn't realize like that. Parts. Yeah, I didn't realize that the labia was different to the vagina. Like all of these I didn't different even know what a labia was until like a year ago. This is yeah, like, yeah. And I'm 19, Chief. Like, <laughs> and it's interesting that you said that you went to public school, but because of the area that you grew up in and the, the, the area that you lived in, there was obviously a lot of influence in in that public mm -hmm. education around the the predominant faith based areas that that that, that you lived in. So yeah. it's interesting that you spoke about birth control not being mentioned and and mm -hmm. and and you know sexually transmitted infections not being talked mm -hmm. about um because then it comes down to the their sexual health education and then their sex and relationship education and it's the relationship side that's important that comes with the the STI education mm -hmm. and talking about how our bodies belong to us and when it's important to speak to somebody if you're not comfortable with something and that's kind of the relationship side of things that we get perhaps in more progressive schools uh, or, or colleges or, or wherever it is that you're receiving your sex and relationship education but you know kind of just discussing the anatomy of only men not even women kind of that that in itself in this day and age is not enough I, I think you know it, the relationship side of it is very important um and it's it's very telling that it was the male anatomy that was discussed and not actually how babies are made in terms of sexual intercourse 
and yeah. then discussing you know there's no talk around pleasure obviously because the it, it's it's very much scientific based um even though pleasure exists for a reason uh, there's you know that there, there, there's a reason why the nerve endings are are in the places that they are in so there yeah. is all of that as well but but even though you're in a public school I think it's very obvious where your public school is situated in terms of the type of education that you're receiving um but what about things like propaganda in your church were you ever encouraged to read certain material or were you ever restricted from certain reading material what was it like in terms of like here's your English literature assignment go and read this book or go and do this research on the internet what does life look like in terms of LDS church and propaganda yeah so um especially for kids and youth it was like very big thing um there was like a lot of like book of mormon books that were like your bite like bible stories but like for the book of mormon um and there was like tv shows for kids that were like nephi nephi is one of the prophets like nephi is like big and strong and he's leading his family across the ocean to the americas and like like things that you would watch on Sundays with your kids. Um, but not only that, like, and, and then as a youth, like there was like posters that were like, um, make sure you're modest, like modest is hottest. That was a really big phrase in the church is like, modest is hottest. Um, That's mixed so, like, signals encourage. to me. That is, that is like modesty, like cover yourself up. Don't appear to be sexualized. It, again, in air quotes, don't appear to be sexualized in any way yeah but it's also hot it's hot if you do that so what is it yeah. is it sexualized or not sexualized like I'm confused yeah. <laughs> and so just like things like that even like phrases like that it was just like really like encouraged um and then like we were always taught that like you don't venture outside of church-based sources um so like honestly the biggest thing that they would recommend is if you want to learn new information go to the church website and google it like like search through it through the church website first if there's no information then it's nothing that god needs you to know right now and you'll find out when you die and go to heaven and you can ask god your questions um so like that was what you were taught is if like there's no answers from prophets or leaders from old or now then like don't worry about it just put it on your shelf and ignore it you know, like, and so that was just kind of like the big thing that was taught. Um, and then specifically, especially when it came to like racial things and LGBTQ like community things, that was a really big thing of like, you just don't touch it. You don't ask about it. Um, and like, um, they don't do it anymore. But honestly, I think up until like about the 2010s, they were like passing out pamphlets specifically for the LGBTQ community of like encouraging electroshock therapy and different things and, and, and conversion therapy. Um, that was like studies studies done by BYU yeah like uh, under the BYU institution there were studies done um, specifically with electroshock therapy um, to like remove the feelings of homosexuality um, within yeah within people oh that um, is absolutely oh that is heartbreaking there's an there's an episode that I released for Pride Month back when when the podcast first launched it and it was around cult-like methods of control around conversion therapy and looking specifically at the types of techniques that are used to 
try and convert somebody from being attracted to the same sex to being attracted to the opposite sex. And there was talk of basically physical torture of, you know, beating it out of you. Yeah. yeah, People, yeah. Awful, horrible things. And this is why I always talk about particular community groups in these episodes, because I feel like how, how can a religion call itself progressive or how can a faith-based movement call itself progressive and endorse these types of very archaic torture methods, basically, on, 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 on members who don't conform to the ideal versions of this, of, of this, of this religion. So I don't know how difficult, and I don't know if this is something that you'll feel comfortable speaking about, but it must feel difficult for somebody who identifies as asexual to have the idea of relationships and marriage to the opposite sex and building a family and no birth control and all of these things that are expected of you to be kind of forced on you from the age of eight onwards in in such an overwhelming capacity and then to learn about how the lgbtqia plus community is appreciated and respected within the lds church like it must be extremely difficult for somebody in your position to then try and weave thoughts around and and then I guess it comes back to all those thoughts and feelings that you had around not feeling like you were doing enough in the church why didn't you why didn't you kind of feel as devoted or committed as everybody else does that make you a bad person and then and then this is a a theme that comes up quite a lot people that feel like they need to change themselves asking God why they feel the way that they do why can't they associate with the church in the way that their peers do all of these difficult conversations that people have with themselves where they end up saying I'll just you know I'm not attracted to the opposite sex but I'll marry someone of the opposite sex to keep my family my and and and, you know everyone in my religion happy Mm -hmm. but then forsake my own happiness it you know going forward I don't know if that's something that you want to speak to if you feel like you can speak to well it's it's something that's honestly like incredibly more prevalent than you believe (laughs) for me my older brother is gay um and that was honestly something I struggled with a lot like not that he was gay but like wanting to be able to be worthy to hold a temple recommend but supporting him um because you aren't allowed to do both depending on the bishop that you have um so like your bishop determines whether or not you are worthy to enter the temple um, and so it really depends on the bishop you have, because one of the questions you are asked is, do you support um, groups or communities that are against the church and its teachings? Um, so some people view the LGBTQ community and acting on your gay-like feelings and homosexual feelings as being against the church. Um, so you can have them, you just can't act on them. So once you start acting on them, that's being against the church. Some people view it as like, if you support them, like as long as you're not encouraging it, then it's fine. Um, so like my older brother, like he, he's married now. He has a boy, like he had a boyfriend at the time. And I was like, am I worried to hold it? Am I worthy to hold a temple recommend? Because like, 
his his husband I'm like best friends with and I loved him from the moment I met this boy like and when my brother came out to me he like we were sitting in front of a temple and he was crying when he came out to me and he was just like I'm so sorry and I was like why like nothing changes I love you like and the, I like I really didn't understand like at the time like why it was such a big deal like I was just kind of like yeah. okay you like men and so I just that was like the biggest thing I had to grapple with is like, am I now allowed to perform these sacred ordinances and enter this, this house of God is what we believe it is. Um, but also love and support my brother at the same time. Um, and, and that's the thing that I do think I am blessed with um, is I get away kind of not free being asexual. Um, <laughs> I, Cause I joke about this when I was still in the church and I realized I was asexual. I was like, I'm following the church's teachings down to the T. I don't want to have sex. Like, I'm celibate, man. Like, I'm doing exactly what they're asking of me. <laughs> I don't have the thoughts. I don't have the feelings. I don't have the desires. Like, look at me, the perfect LDS member. Um, and so, like, I, I joked that I just had it easy, but then that also then in turn went, like, I was terrified of pregnancy and then the act of creating a child. Like, and so that was something that I had to struggle with a lot. Uh, but I just kind of kept to myself because I was like, why bother a leader with this? I'll just deal with it on my own and I'll just get it done with and over with and I'll be fine. Um, it's like, it's a one-time thing. You get pregnant, you're good, you know? And so that was just something that like, it, it was, and so yeah. So um, from a young age, I just had a really hard time understanding that side. And I just really don't get hate is the biggest thing just growing up because like my mom's family they're very mixed um like we I have like I I had a black uncle um like my fam mom's family's catholic like we I have a cousin who you could just tell from a young age was gay like there was just like all of these like different groups and people conglomerate and so I just was like why do I hate these people like what why is what they're doing wrong and so from a young age I just really just didn't cling on to that I just kind of kept quiet when we would have those lessons and as I got older I became a little bit more vocal because I was just like what are you gonna do kick me out I want to so just do it so like I would just become a little bit more vocal as I got older um but yeah so that was just kind of the big thing um is like I just never understood those ideas of like why is it wrong to love somebody like and 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 my biggest thought process is if God hates it, why would he create it? Like that, that was kind of my biggest thought process of like, like this isn't a trial that you're given. Like being gay is not a trial that you're given. Yep. It's a chemical hormone that you were born with. I, I often <laughs> say like, it's, it's not like me, like I'm, I'm going to try a vegan diet for a few months and see if exactly. I enjoy it. It's not a decision that somebody makes. Uh, yeah. I think that's something that is often misconstrued in these faith-based mm. groups when we talk about things like conversion therapy. It's not a lifestyle choice that somebody has made. It's not a decision that they can say yes or no to. It's, exactly. you know, people can't change their core identity mm -hmm. and, and they may live a life that is different to how they identify but that doesn't mean it's authentic to the person that they are. And that's very heartbreaking in these episodes when we hear those, those types of accounts.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But it's positive to hear that your old brother has waived his commitments to the church mm-hmm. in order to have a, a same-sex partnership marriage to somebody that, that makes him happy, somebody that he can love wholeheartedly without the pressure of, of the church and everything that comes with that. And it's great that you being in a position of no longer attaching yourself to the LDS church can, can now kind of celebrate in that partnership as well obviously there's probably a lot of negatives that come with that in terms of your relationship with the rest of your family that I'm sure we'll speak about as we go on what was it like for somebody who identifies as asexual growing up in the church is this something that you recognized quite early on in terms of speaking with your peers when they would talk about romantic relationships that they were interested in without their kind of maybe their parents knowing about it or is this something that you've realized more as you've moved away from the church it's not specifically the church teachings but perhaps how you identify as a person um it was a little bit of both so um I remember growing up, I never really had crushes. Like, I remember people would talk about, like, their celebrity crush or kids in school that they were like, oh, like, I really want to date this kid or kiss this kid. And I was kind of like, eh, like, cool. I mean, you do you, but I just never, like, really thought about the fact that I didn't have those feelings myself. Um, It was just kind of like, I really, really wanted to be friends with people. Um, And, like, that's something that, like, my best friend now, like, I'll talk to her and I'm like, I think I have a crush. And she's like, do you have a crush or do you just really want to be friends with this person? <laughs> and I'm just like, well, I kind of want to be friends. And she's like, hey, you don't have a crush. And I'm like, you know what? Um, so I was just kind of like growing up the biggest thing. And I think in high school was kind of like when it clicked of like, this isn't normal. The fact that like, I haven't really like been, and, and like, I was just was like, oh, I'm just mature for my age. Like I'm not going through a boy phase kind of a thing. But I think it was just kind of like, it finally clicked of like, I'm not going through a boy phase and I'm not going through an anything phase. Like I just am like living my life. I love hanging out with my friends and I love going to school and participating in my activities. And I don't care for the rest of like the relationship stuff. Like that was something I never had interest in. Um, And so, and it's something that I had come to realize is like, I had to get to know somebody really, really well before I found them like attractive in, in that sense of like wanting to have sex. Um, and so I just honestly thought for a long time, yeah, I was just a church and I was kind of like, whatever, like I don't want to have sex. That was something I was taught, whatever, cool. Um, but I remember I came across the term asexuality when I was about 16 and I was like, this hits at, like I hit every single bullet point here, what the heck? I was like, I think I'm asexual. And so I started kind of tentatively um, exploring that option because I was still afraid that like, maybe I'm just repressing feelings or or maybe this is just a phase or my hormones haven't kicked in or anything. And um, so it was something I tentatively um, 
proclaimed and, and used. Um, and then um, this, the, the, the trigger warning for anybody listening um, about like sexual assault, but I remember in my first relationship, I, I, I was sexually assaulted and, and, and raped in that sense of like, um, I, I, I don't know if it was rape technically to say, but I, I didn't want it. Um, and, I, and I had said no beforehand. Um, and then finally, I just kind of like was like, yes, like, let's just do this, get it over with kind of a thing. Um, and one of the reasons was because of religion. The other reason was like, I just wasn't feeling it. I didn't want it. Um, and then after the fact, I was like, I just didn't enjoy that. I, I didn't find any pleasure in that. And I, and, I, and I think it was both one, because it was traumatic and two, because I just, I am asexual and that's just a thing that I don't experience. And I have experimented a little bit more since leaving the church um, and chosen to have sex with people. And I still haven't found much like pleasure, pleasure from it. I enjoy being able to give somebody else that pleasure. And I find a lot of satisfaction in that, in that piece. Um, but like myself, I don't wake up feeling like, damn, just want to get some dick today. Like, I don't, I don't wake up with that feeling. Um, and I've never like really been horny ever, especially like after having sex, like I've never woken up and been like, I, I just really need sex today. Like, I just, I really get that feeling or like blue balls kind of a thing or whatever. Like I've never had that experience. So, yeah. It's interesting that today, you can go on to an online dating site and find somebody specifically who feels exactly the same way that you do, who's looking for exactly the same things that you are in terms of a relationship that has perhaps all the codependency without the mm -hmm. sexual element. You know, there's still the romantic yeah. side of things, but but without the need or want for the the, the physical relations that come with uh most relationships which mm -hmm. is interesting and uh and uh, I had a a friend very 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 close friend who is asexual and I ask her questions all the time about you know because sometimes she'll say oh he's handsome and I'll say how can you find him handsome because you identify as asexual and she says well I can I object objectively I can say that man is a very good looking man that mm -hmm. doesn't mean if me and him were naked in a room together I would want to him to penetrate me that that's yeah. not what that means you know he, she mm -hmm. can look at a, a certain type of man and say he is attractive or she has said like you know, that she would like a relationship with somebody, but without the physical side of things. And and she's, mm -hmm. she's you know, she's explained that she's been through the same similar motions in terms of trying to be physical with somebody, not enjoying it whatsoever, being extremely uncomfortable. And then kind of the aftermath of that, feeling very anxious and uncomfortable in her own body and herself and feeling very violated by the entire experience. Mm -hmm. And that's aside from your experience of actually feeling pressured into having an experience that you might not have necessarily agreed with wholeheartedly so asexuality is something I feel like is, is not spoken a lot I mean the LGBTQIA plus community as a whole is not discussed a lot mm -hmm. I think that's why I try and bring such prevalence to it in this platform 
but asexuality yeah. itself I feel is not something that is explored or spoken about or described or explained in, in mainstream society in a way that people can understand so um she listens to a lot of my content I don't know if she'll listen to this episode if she does I love you and you are the best um <laughs> and uh and I am forever thankful for all of these people that I meet and have these interactions with that help me to understand other people's experiences like yours Caroline for example and your identity of asexuality is 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 a little bit easier for me to understand because of my interactions with my very close friend Mm -hmm. but of course that doesn't mean that I understand your situation in in any matter of the sense because I have never experienced being a member of the LDS church so let's go back into sort of the 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 high demand side of things and and do you have like a a pastor or a congregation leader or a group of people who make decisions for you are you expected as a family to go to a certain person and say like oh my daughter Caroline she's thinking about going into further education what do you think about her going to attend this course or oh my husband's thinking about going and starting this job is that something I mean is that a part of the LDS church um so again nothing's like ever quote-unquote required but it's it's heavily encouraged that you consult with your bishop about different things um and that like first you originally pray and then you consult your bishop about the feelings that you've experienced after your prayer um but specifically especially things about like children and marriage um those are things that you have to get approved by your bishop um because like um with specifically with marriage you have to get it approved by your bishop if you want to get sealed in the temple um and not only that some places and some bishops I have heard of experiences where if you choose to have like a secular ceremony where like you choose to get married in like another church or something for like your your parents or your spouse's parents to also be able to attend and see a marriage um you can be denied the right to be sealed um, because you chose something over God. Um, so that, and again, it depends on the bishop, which is really frustrating in my opinion, because a lot of it is dependent on the person. And, and I feel like it should be the same thing across the board. So you don't have to worry or wonder. Cause like, I remember I had a friend, um, growing up and his family, they were going to be out of town on the like day that he was supposed to get baptized. And so his family asked for permission to be able to baptize him for like where they were going to be from out of town. And they got a no from that bishop. So they moved and they changed their boundaries of like where they would be attending church. And the new bishop said yes. So like they like literally moved to be able to receive the permission from their bishop to be able to baptize. And so that's like kind of frustrating in my opinion of it's not the same across the board. It's all dependent on what the bishop wants. So sometimes he could be really, really strict like that bishop, because that bishop was like, every kid is being baptized on the same day, and it's being baptized in the same place, and they cannot be baptized outside of those restraints. Um, Other bishops are like, yeah, you go baptize your kid in like a river that's really meaningful to you and your family, and you can have your own experience, like do your thing. Um, And so that's just kind of the same way with marriage of like, I, like, I remember growing up, I really, really wanted to have two marriages. I wanted to be sealed in the temple, because that's something that I was taught you 
were needed and required of. And then I also wanted to be married outside of the temple and have those experiences because I wanted people like my older brother and, and people like my family on my mom's side of the family to see me get married, to be able to be there and, and, and celebrate with my loved ones this marriage. Um, because it was really important for me to have my loved ones with me. Um, and even when you are being sealed in the temple, like my little brother would not have been able to attend because he's not endowed even though he's a member of the church. So you have to have like these specific blessings. And so like, I haven't seen any of my family members on my dad's side of the family be married. I've only attempted reception because they were married in the temple and because like I didn't have those blessings yet to be able to attend the higher level of the temple. Um, so that's really frustrating to me. And I think that's really like discluding a lot of people and that can be really hard and hurtful for a lot of people. Um, and even if you do have those blessings, your bishop can choose to remove them from you. And he can choose to like, be like, okay, well, you've made a decision. And now I think that your temple recommend needs to be removed. And then you can't attend the temple. And sometimes it's like without warning. Um, and so it's just kind of really frustrating in that sense. Um, and so they are really uh, in charge of those kinds of things, as well as like, um, what is too far for sexual intercourse and different things like that. And obviously it's very different for both young men and young women. Um, and then like, like what you can and can't dress, how you can and can't act, things you can and can't say. Um, like they will remove people from the pulpit if they're like speaking and the bishop is like, that's not okay. They will remove them from the pulpit, um, different things like that. And so um, you just have to be really careful around them sometimes because if you know they are a little bit stricter, you have to just be a little bit more careful with your beliefs and mm -hmm. different things that you have um, because they can remove a lot of blessings from you and mm -hmm. a lot mm -hmm. of inclusivity. Um, but for the most part, like you aren't like education and different things like that. You aren't required to like talk to your bishop. But it's like they believe that like you should like heavily rely on this man because he is like your closest and direct line to God. And so like he's going to be the one to be able to aid you in the best decisions possible and to be able to provide you on the highest and best path that anything could be given. So, yeah. Right. And what about things like tithe? Are you expected to donate any amount of money to the church? How yes. is the LDS church funded? Yes. So you are required to donate 10% of your income. Well, not your income of any influx of cash. So like, I remember growing up, if I got birthday money, I had to give 10% of my birthday money. If like, I was given a gift that had cash, I had to give 10% of that. And like paychecks, I had to pay 10% of that. Like literally any influx of cash you receive, so like if you win the lottery, 10% of what you win in the lottery. Like if you are receiving like paychecks because like you're older now and so now you're receiving social security checks, you have to give 10% of the social security checks, even though you didn't work for that money, like you have to give 10% of every influx that you have. And so, um, and that's actually one of the requirements to be able to enter the temple is, are you a full tithe payer? So um, yeah, and, and again, that also depends on your bishop because some people I know, like I remember when I was about, 13 or 14 I found out that the church was donating some of their funds to Project 8 and I was like absolutely not. Um, Project 8 is a group that is trying to overturn the Supreme Court decision that allows gay people to be married and you cannot deny them that right in any state in the United States. 
um, but the church is donating to that group to be able to try and overturn that case to ban um, legalized marriage for people of the same sex. And so I was like, absolutely not. So I would donate my funds to charities instead. And um, some bishops were okay with that, some bishops weren't. And they said that I wasn't a full tithe payer because I wasn't paying it directly to the church. And I should just trust my leaders and I should trust the prophet that he knows what he's doing and he's using my money for good things. Um, so yeah, so there were just like some moments where I wasn't allowed to attend the temple um, because um, I would donate my funds, 10% of my funds to charity instead of directly to the church for the church to spend it how they believe was correct. Um, so yeah, so you have to give 10% of everything that you have. And then on top of that, once a month, you have to give, um, we have a thing called Fast Sundays. It's the first Sunday of the month where you fast for two meals. So you don't eat two meals. And then whatever money you would spend on that meal, you have to give to the church. So like, it's just like a guesstimate of like, how much would you spend on a bowl of cereal and like a sandwich? So you give them like $10, you know? And like, and that like fast is then accumulated by the bishop to be able to use um, as he deems is necessary or worthy for the congregation. So yeah you if you don't pay those things you are not um required you're not allowed to enter the temple and if you don't pay these go on those records that we spoke about at the start of the episode and so it's yes. it's kind of public record whether you do or don't contribute financially to the church yeah so you actually have a tithing settlement meeting which is what it's called every year at the end of the year where your bishop comes in and he's like, let's check your income versus what you've paid for tithing. Um, so you have to like settle your tithing and prove that like back and forth that like your income matches your tithing. Um, so <laughs> at the end of the year, that's what you're tight. Like it's called a tithing settlement because you have to settle that you did everything. Um, and then whatever like the bishop sees like uh, discrepancies in like your income versus your tithing payments, you have to pay. Otherwise, you are not worthy, like, by the end of the year to hold a temple recommend. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, like... Wow, that's so interesting because, fist. like, over here... Or, I don't even know if that's the right way to phrase it, but outside of the Mormon church, if I was to go to somebody and say, how much do you earn, they'd see that as a very aggressive or disrespectful question to ask yeah but your bishop it, he should be able to know literally anything about you he should be able to ask any question and any questions okay and you shouldn't question him because he's the man of god so like i remember like like and and this is a big thing that's being debated right now of like whether or not 12 like kids like underage youth should be asked sexual questions because like like your bishop will like ask you like are you wearing white underwear or not? Like, so your bishop should be able to have the requirement to ask you literally anything you want, like anything he wants or believes is worthy to his knowledge. So like, he should be able to ask you literally anything, your income, what you're wearing, like whatever. And you don't hesitate without any question or thought about what is said. This feels like it spells opportunity for people in positions of power to abuse those positions. And you're nodding yep. quite furiously there. So 
yeah is this something that you have had personal experience with yeah no I remember when I was eight um I was being interviewed before my baptism to see if I'm ready and prepared um and I remember my bishop he was talking to me and he was like you shouldn't be wearing because like I, I I developed a little bit earlier so I was already like developing breasts and whatnot at age eight and so he was like, when you wear bras, like you shouldn't be wearing lacy and silky things. You should only be wearing like neutral colors or white colors for your like underwear and your bras because like you shouldn't have anything else fancy. Like, why would you have something fancy? And then I remember like in t- like 12 through 18, I was asked like pretty sexual questions of like, like, do you touch yourself? If you do, where do you touch yourself? Like, what are things that you do? Why are you doing them for how long? Um, and then I remember, um, and like, he would ask you about your undergarments and whatnot, um, as long as like, are you wearing the proper things? Are you wearing cotton or silk, like different things like that. Um, and then when I was an adult, I remember after I had left my relationship where I had had some sexual stuff before marriage, um, I confessed to my bishop, I was like, this thing happened and I feel really guilty about it, even though I know it's not my fault. Like, this was more coercion and he was like well you're not allowed to take the sacrament anymore which is like a form of like basically public shaming because the entire like you have to say no because they pass it to each individual person so you have to say no to that person for them to skip you or else they're put, gonna keep putting it in your face until you take the bread and the water and so like you have to say no and your bishop he can be like if you're taking the sacrament you can be excommunicated um when your bishop tells you not to so um so like he told me that I wasn't allowed to take the sacrament and I had to repent for my sins. But he also asked me like really easy and detailed questions about the experience. And, and I had to basically relive the trauma that I had experienced for like six months on end of like, when was the first experience? How, why did I let it get that far? Like, it's my fault because he's not a member of the church anymore. And like, I had allowed that. This is why you only date within the church and different things. And he had asked really personal questions of like, where was I touched most frequently? Why was I touched most frequently there? Um, and like, why would I let the hands wander? Where would it happen? Like, and, and like, what was the place that we would most go to um, and different things like that. And then he would also ask like, are you continuing in activities that would further like further cause um, issues such as masturbation, touching yourself, moving your private parts or whatever. Cause like, lifting your breast to put it in your like like bra like sometimes you just adjust yourself you know and he was like you need to be really careful when you do that to not touch your nipple and like cause it to get hard and different things like that because you have to be really careful not to like bring those sexual feelings back and create those unwanted situations again for you to have to then restart your entire repentance process and have to restart the six months you're not allowed to take the sacrament kind of a thing so it's it's like pretty in-depth questions that are asked of you and it starts from a young age it starts from usually about age eight when you're having your interviews with your bishop so like there are currently people like advocating that children are should not be allowed to enter into bishop's offices yeah absolutely yeah they're usually like 45 year old men or older um and so like they're like old men it's not like a 20 year old talking to an eight-year-old like it's usually like 40 45 year old men and older like all of their kids are adults kind of a thing would be excusable but like to me that adds even more of a level of like you should know better than to like ask that question (laughs) 
like you should know better than to be talking to children literal children about these things I remember when I was 12 I didn't understand some of the questions he was even asking me like like touching yourself or whatever I was like what the fuck does that mean like touching myself like 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 I itch like I have I get an itch on my shoulder like like I didn't understand what masturbation even was when I was 12 and I had to be taught what it was by my freaking bishop (laughs) it's 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 problematic in a lot of ways because there's a lot to unpack in what you've just said there there's the there's the (laughs) similarities and I know I draw on this a lot, but it's because a lot of the content and a lot of the experience that I've had through testimonies has come from this group of people. But when I've spoken to the Jehovah's Witnesses and they've talked about needing to go to tribunals with Mm -hmm. various elders in their congregations around things like sex before marriage or sexual interactions or, 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 or... experiences that they've had with the same sex or opposite sex before marriage they these types of explicit questions have been asked which Mm -hmm. leads me to believe that there is a set of questions that is expected of elders to ask these people Mm -hmm. during these tribunals but it gives the sense almost when people ask these questions it almost feels like they're trying to live through that person's experience because they're asking the questions in such detail like oh you touch yourself exactly where do you touch yourself and exactly how long for and what motion do you use and it's it's so yeah exactly it's so meticulous that it almost feels like an interrogation for personal gain Mm -hmm. as opposed to interrogation for answers I don't know if that's just me only taking you know experiences at face value when they're explained to me like you're you're just explaining your experiences and I'm taking from those what you experienced which was a a huge overstep of personal information uh uh, personal explicit information that that Mm. you may not have wanted to share with somebody of that age who is not a member of your family and even then maybe not you know uh, maybe yeah. it would have been even stranger if a family member <laughs> would have asked. I don't know. It's a lot to unpack. Your dad but... interviewing you. <laughs> yeah. Like... But what I mean is that it's odd for somebody to need to collect that amount of meticulous information mm-hmm. on you when it comes to those very personal sexualized experiences. Um, And and another example of the type of information that the people in positions of power in these high demand religious groups gain access to through things like tribunals and these one to one meetings. Mm -hmm. And is it similar in terms of Jehovah's Witnesses where your baptism is 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 positioned to you as the next? goal for you to strive for this is the next important thing for you to reach you have to do everything according to the plan so that you can be baptized because that's what you need to do to continue on your religious and spiritual journey is is that what is positioned 
in terms of your baptism at eight years of age but then you said mm-hmm. you were having these conversations at 12 so is your baptism not something that happened for you at eight yeah so my baptism happened at eight and that's when it does some of the like more or less in-depth conversations started uh but yeah so at eight it definitely like is expected of you from a very young age it's always talked about is like your baptism it's so it's so exciting it's great to be eight like all of these different things are taught to you and there's even like um songs that you're that you sing in primary I remember singing as like a six-year-old like um there was like uh uh I I want my sins to be washed away and be as clean as the earth on a rainy day um and like you so you would sing these songs as young children um to be taught like oh I'm so excited to be baptized like in different things and I remember actually up like leading up to when I was eight my dad like in the hallway he would like practice the baptism motion with me because like like you have to hold your arm in a certain way and hold the person's arm in a certain way and then he would practice with me like dunking me in the water like in the hallway so it was just kind of like and and like it's it seems odd from the outside but to me that was just like something that like you would do because inherently you should be excited about this and so you want to prepare and do everything that you can to create more anticipation you know um so yeah so that was just kind of like the biggest thing is like um it's not really like talked about of like it it, like for me it was never asked of do you want to do this or not it was just kind of like we're getting baptized I'm getting baptized I'm so excited like that was just kind of the inherent conversation and you also don't want to fall behind with your peers like you like when you're nine years old and you're not baptized all the rest of your friends are baptized and now they have the spirit they don't like you have just the gift and they have like the full-on thing like you you don't want to be left out of those groups and different things so um it's just kind of and like you don't really think about the consequences of it in my personal opinion you just kind of like oh yeah like I am now pure and I'm never going to be as clean as I am in this moment where I'm exiting the font and I am finished being baptized. I will never be as clean ever again as I am in this moment. Like you don't register those things fully as an eight-year-old. You're just like, I just like took a tiny swim and now I'm going to go change into a really pretty dress and eat food with my family. Like that's really what I remember of that experience. I don't remember really registering the fact of like, I am completely pure and I'm never going to be pure ever again after this moment and like I mean this is this could be a strange question to ask but what age do you feel like somebody can completely comprehend all of the expectations that come with an LDS baptism this is something that I actually do think about a lot so it's not a weird question at all because it's something that's posed a lot um, I currently have a family, it, like one of my uncles, he and his wife have um, divorced and his wife wants nothing to do with the church and he's still involved with the church. And um, so a compromise they made is for their eldest child, they're going to wait until he turns 12 and then they're going to have a conversation with him about like, what do you think about this experience? Like, do you understand what a baptism is? Like the full consequences and comprehension of this um and then like proceed forward from that of now do you want it and ask like is this something that you really do actually want and desire like outside of the peer pressure like you as a person is this something you want um I think 12 is more of an opportune age I think that's kind of like 
um, especially here in America, that's kind of like when you're really being taught middle school, um, those values of like right and wrong, feelings wrong, different things like that, you're really fully comprehending like your actions have consequences. Um, and like that's something that's really instilled in you through the education system of like, like these things are serious and like you have to really understand the choices that you make, bullying and different things, your words have consequences and stuff. And so I think 12 is kind of the opportune moment to start having a conversation. I don't think it's even to start putting pressure. I don't think it should be like at age 12, you have to get married. Cause like that, I mean, get baptized on there. At age 12, you have to get baptized. Cause like, I think that puts a lot of pressure but at age 12, that's when you can start talking about it and exploring the idea um, because then that I feel like that does put a lot of pressure because you don't want to fall behind your peers and different things like that. Um, like I said, because that was a big thing for a lot of kids is like my friends are being baptized. I want to be baptized too now. Um, so yeah, so I just think that like age 12, like you truly are fully more comprehending your ideas of who you are as a person um, and, and fully like exploring out into the world and into your teenage years, I think is when it becomes a little bit more serious and developmentally, like you truly are a little bit more prepared for the world and different things. And, um, so that, that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but yeah. And it clearly is something that you've spoken about, uh, or thought about quite a lot. And yeah. it's interesting to me because I feel like even at my age now at 28, if someone was to come to me and ask me, my thoughts and feelings on all of this and um, put like a big event like a baptism to me Mm -hmm. like I don't even know if at my age I would be ready to explore all of the responsibilities that came with that decision and for Mm -hmm. somebody at the age of eight to go through that experience I don't believe is 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 fair because you we can't cognitively comprehend all of the responsibility that comes with that baptism at that at that mm-hmm. young age and I've worked with a lot of young people around that age and you know they're just yeah. losing they're like some of them are just losing a couple of their first teeth you know Honestly, and, and yeah. they're not they're not thinking about their lifelong commitments to uh you know Jesus Christ and and a higher power so it's it's a very difficult one that um, but when we talk about LDS as a movement, you've spoken about how much you're supposed to tithe, how much is expected of you in terms of a 10% gift to the church and in, in, in anything of monetary value that is given to you or gifted to you or that you earn through employment. What about things like clothing? Now, you mentioned the FLDS church and how they have their hair and and how you can distinguish an FLDS member from an LDS member. And it's kind of an inside joke almost in terms of appearance. But with friends outside of the church, with your diet, with your clothing, with your leisure time, are you restricted in any sense of the word? Yeah, let me actually go get a book that was given to me as a kid. All right, so I have one of the books that I was given, and then I can pull up the other one. So, um, specifically for young women, um, there is this book called Personal Progress, Standing as a Witness of God. Um, They don't do it anymore. They got rid of it about two years ago or so. 
Um, and it's just kind of talking about like, um, just kind of things that you uh, should be as a young woman and preparing yourself to be a mother and a child and a, and a, and a wife and just kind of different things in the world. So there's like, there's different values <laughs> that you have to, um, live by and like pass off so it's faith divine nature individual worth knowledge choice and accountability good works integrity and virtue um and so these are different values that you have to like do different projects for um to like further increase your knowledge and understanding of them but specifically the last two integrity and virtue um those were like really big things that like highly emphasize specifically um being like worthy and different things like it says here um think of a time when you had courage to sow integrity especially when it was not easy or popular so just kind of like talking about clothing that you would wear or or standing up for your values or like being like you can't say that in front of me that's not okay like um different things like that like i remember um in school like I would tell my friends like you can't say that word around me that's not okay like when they would say oh my god I would be like you are not allowed to say those phrases around me if you want to be my friend and I was just like that kid because <laughs> that's what you're taught as a kid is you're taught to like stand up for your values and like tell other people and so I would like set those boundaries of like if you say oh my god or if you say darn or if you say shit or like no no words we're not friends anymore <laughs> like that was just kind of my thing uh, but then specifically with virtue, honestly, this is the like worst one for me because it was talking about like family and being clean and perfect. And I just, I never understood the idea of like specifically masturbation and whatnot. Why is that wrong? Like, and, and different things as I got older and understood what it was. Um, but it says like, one, one of the uh, required value experiences. It says virtuous living at all times and all things and in all places quali qualifies you for the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. When you are baptized and confirmed, you are given the gift of the Holy Ghost to guide all aspects of your life. Since the Holy Ghost does not dwell in unclean tabernacles as otherwise your body, um, living a virtuous life is a prerequisite for having the companionship of the Holy Ghost and receiving blessings of temple ordinances. And then you're supposed to read uh, the following verses and identify promised blessings. Um, so just making sure that you have a clean tabernacle and just being perfect. And then it continues on like, pre uh, prepare to be worthy to enter the temple and participate in temple ordinances. Make a list of questions and answer the questions for yourself. Um, and make a list of things that you're willing to do and prepare yourself for to be pure and worthy to enter the temple. Um, and receive all the blessings our Heavenly Father has promised his beloved daughter. Um, and then it continues on. It's just kind of like, you must be pure and virtuous. And you must be able to be clean and of good uh, and a good health. Um, and different things like that. And so, like, you can't have your hymen broken kind of shit. Like, like you were taught. Um, I, w I remember I got in trouble for using tampons. Like, I would have friends who, like, would judge me for using tampons. Cause like, that's like inserting something into your vagina. And so like, you like would only like be able, I remember I would carry around pads for my friends because they wouldn't use tampons. And so things like that can like, like remove your virtue from you. And so that was something that was taught 
um, of how to be virtuous at all times. And, um, and it says, um, like, there's like little scriptures in the front. Um, and it says, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. And that was just like so harmful, specifically after my um, experience with my ex-boyfriend mm-hmm, of like, mm-hmm. now I'm not worthy. Like, and now I have no like price and, and I'm just, I'm not even worthy enough for a ruby, you know, like things like that. It was just so harmful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then like, we were given this book called for the strength of youth and, um, it has different things that teaches kids stuff. And so like, and it's given to you when you're 12. And so it talks about agency and accountability, dating, dress and appearance, education, entertainment and media, family, friends, gratitude, honesty and integrity, language, music and dancing, physical and emotional health, repentance, Sabbath day observance, service, sexual purity, tithings and offerings, work and self-reliance, and going forward with faith. So those are all different things that the church has outlined for you of like, like they have certain moral codes that you are supposed to follow under every single thing. Um, and like what you can and can't do with certain things like dating, you're not allowed to date like sing, like singularly um, after like, you're not allowed to date before 16 and you're not allowed to date singularly. Like you're not allowed to have boyfriend, girlfriend. You are encouraged to only go out on group dates with people and never be alone with a person or like with like dress, you are not allowed to show your midriff and you're not allowed to have too deep of a V cut and you're not allowed to have sheer clothing or mesh clothing or um, like you're not allowed to have dyed hair. You're not allowed to have a second piercing in your ear. Um, You don't want to defile your body um, basically. So like never lower your standards of dress. Don't use a special occasion to be immodest. So like nothing that's tight, sheer or revealing Young women should avoid short shorts and skirts, shirts that do not cover the stomach or like don't cover the shoulders. Um, and then for young men, it just, it literally just says young men should also maintain modesty in their appearance. Like that's the only thing that follows through afterwards. But like, it says like, you shouldn't like have body piercing. You just shouldn't have tattoos. You should only have one pair of earrings um, and different things like that. And if you're not sure what is appropriate to wear, study the words of prophets, pray for guidance and ask your parents or leaders for help is what it says. So that document there, like nobody can see what, what the interactions that we're having on the camera, but my eyes basically just like a mouth agape that entire description yeah. of this particular <laughs> piece of reading, because that is all of my questions summed up into one document that is sent to you on what you can and cannot do as yeah. a member of the LDS church. So mm-hmm. that is literally like an yeah. instruction it's, booklet it's like, on how to conduct yourself if you want to be a, an upstanding, co- correct member of the LDS church. Yeah, it's like 400 pages of like stuff that's like, you can do this and you can't do that. Like, you can't eat this, you can't eat that, you, 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 like, and, and, like, you can drink this, you can drink that, like, these are the friends you should be having, and these are the friends you shouldn't be having, like, this is how you should interact with people and different things, like, it's, it's, like, a, it's, it's, it's a rule guide, basically, of, like, what you should and shouldn't be doing in your life. So, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to the final segment soon of our interview, which is when I ask you sort of how you left, how your life has been since, and 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 all of that stuff. But before we go on to that that subject material, can you just talk the listeners through what's been happening at the happening at the BYU campus recently? With all of the chalk graffiti and the kind of um, the small uprising that's been happening from within the university around the LGBTQIA plus community and the rights of the that community group within the the, the university itself. Yeah, totally. So um, it has been an ongoing struggle for a really long time now. It's been oh, I think about like eight years that I have been hearing news about different groups at BYU trying to advocate for um, the LGBTQ community specifically with like um, like homosexuality and, and, and having feelings of like homosexual affection and different things like that. Because um, uh, it's specifically really heavily discouraged within being like like gay, bi, or lesbian and, and experiencing same-sex attraction, um, which fun fact, they never say gay or homosexuality. They only say same-sex attraction um, when addressing these things. But recently they came to a massive head um, when the, like, I think he's like a former president or he is the current president or something, but he's also an apostle of the Church of Jesus Christ. His name is um, Elder, uh, Elder Holland. And he gave um, a speech or, or a talk to the faculty and staff of, L- of, of BYU um, before the school year had started. Um, and he basically said, and I am not making this up, like this is like basically verbatim of you must draw your muskets and fire upon those who are here to destroy the family um, doctrine. And um, he was previously talking about how um, the original Mormon pioneers, they would have a trowel in one hand and a musket in another um, while they were building temples to be able to protect temples from people who would come and try and destroy them, Um, which is fair. You're protecting your life, I get that. But he's talking about now we must be protecting the family from uh, anti-family rhetoric, such as abortions, um, women not wanting to be married, being career focused and LGBTQ communities. Um, because it's not a man and a woman. And he was just kind of like, you must fire your muskets upon the crowd. And a lot of people um, in the church, they take things sometimes a little literally. Um, And so that was the biggest concern is the literalness um, that people would take, but also the fact that he was basically saying like, shoot people who support the LGBTQ community. Because he was saying like, it's, that's the way a lot of people perceived it and and I had a really great conversation with my dad who didn't see it this way but um, a lot of people saw it in a way of um, like if you support the community you are destroying the family doctrine because you are saying that that is okay and you are supporting them and loving them and saying that what you believe and what you do is okay and you're not allowed to do that anymore in the church and he was kind of drawing those lines in the sand Um, and specifically within BYU, they have um, this, they have the honor code. 
and um, this is a code that you have to follow unless you're a BYU football player. Um, that, <laughs> that like you you can't have sex before marriage. You can't drink. You can't wear certain things. You can't have a beard. Um, and then you if you can't be homosexual. Like basically, if, if you can be homosexual, but you can't act on it. Um, so if they find out that you are dating people who are of the same gender, if you are kissing people of the same gender, or if you are somehow in association with people of the same gender and you are out as gay, they will call you into the honor code office and just kind of have a conversation with you of like, you cannot be doing these things or you will be expelled. Um, and so this is like a big thing of kind of like fighting back against that of like, people should be able to be who they are and receive an education without being persecuted. Um, but specifically after that, there was just a lot of like, a lot of people just doubling down on the LGBTQ community should be welcomed, should be encouraged and should be loved on a campus where people say that they should love one another and they preach Christ-like teaching. Um, so people started chalking the sidewalks of like, you are welcomed, you are loved, you like being gay is not a sin. Um, who you are as a person is valued, you matter, you are wanted. And people like every single night it would be washed away. And I think they're honestly on day like 45 or something of chalking the sidewalk every single day. And one day actually a BYU student came with a water bottle and started saying some homophobic slurs while washing away the chalk and throwing water on some of the people. And so like, there's just been a lot of stuff around that specifically of people trying to protest and encourage um, people who are part of the LGBTQ community to let them know they're not wrong, they're not bad, they're not horrible people but also change policies within the church and also say like what Elder Holland said was wrong. You shouldn't be drawing muskets. Being a part of the LGBTQ community is not destroying the family, but is actually really encouraging it because they're taking foster kids, they're taking adopted kids under their wings and they're helping create these beautiful communities and homes. So yeah, that, that's just kind of the biggest fire recently at BYU is Elder Holland's talk and everything that's insinuated after. Um, but for the longest time, people have been trying to fight for inclusivity within the campus um, to create safe spaces for people who are part of that community. And I think it's such a fantastic show of solidarity between people of similar, not similar belief systems, but people who are realizing or people of a belief that it's not a lifestyle choice as we as we spoke about before you know it's mm -hmm. not something that people can pick and choose their the, you know their sexual orientation or the or the gender that they are attracted to or the type of person that they're attracted to oh it's probably the the biggest outspoken rebellion oh, yeah, of yeah. church doctrine that we've mm -hmm. seen in modern times in terms of the waves that it has making that that it has made across social media and platforms like TikTok and YouTube mm -hmm. and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. There are daily updates in 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 Reddit on, on different subreddits that are related to the LDS church. The, the the waves that these people have made in terms of their commitment in going back every day despite their artwork and the chalk being washed off they are going back every single day 
you know, you've got campus security on the lookout for these people mm-hmm. trying to pin down the culprits that responsible mm-hmm. for the graffiti and, and, and the antisocial behavior or whatever kind of labels are being associated with these people who are going out to explain that they are all for equal rights mm-hmm. uh, amongst all different community groups. And it's such a positive message for people who have these types of conversations like we're having today around the restrictions of sexuality, gender orientation, gender identity, all of these things that come into question in the 21st century as as a person of our age group. What I mean, I'm 10 years older than you almost, (laughs) um, but people of our generation, I guess, who want to live in a world that is more accepting. I don't know if that's a fair statement to make. Uh, I don't know if it's fair to say that that hardcore devotees of the LDS church aren't accepting people because I've never been in the LDS church. So I I can't make that assumption. But all I can say is that I want to live in a world where there aren't racial barriers where there aren't Mm -hmm. barriers around sexuality, sexual orientation, sexual gender, all of those things. You know, I would really like to live, I I guess that's why I like Liverpool so much where I I am now, because Mm -hmm. there is such a huge drive for the LGBT community over here. And I feel like I always say to people like, you might see somebody with a full length beard walking up the road in high heels and full blown, beautiful makeup. And people don't really look twice. It's kind of like a, it's almost like it's, it's just uh, part of typical everyday life. And and that's the kind of community that I want to live in where people can express themselves in the way that they feel comfortable and it's not questioned or kind of looked at as a yeah. as a specimen to be like you know I don't know it's it's hard for me to voice that's my opinions yeah. yeah absolutely that's it that's mm-hmm. it so it's very commendable what these people are doing at the university and I hope it continues because it's it's just mm-hmm. an act of of solidarity for people that feel like outcasts in their own religion because like you yeah. said earlier and like so many people on the show before have come forward and said like I wanted so much sorry I wanted so much to be as devoted to my faith as possible as devoted to my faith as my family and friends and elders and priests and rabbis told me to be, mm-hmm. but I couldn't be because I felt like I identified this way or I dressed that way or I associated with these people outside of the religion that I called my best friends or I ended up falling in love with somebody of the same gender or somebody of the same sex or somebody outside of the church. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like, Every single time that chalk is applied to that concrete outside of that campus, it's another reinforcing message that there are people inside of these faith-based groups that don't agree with that particular doctrine. 
and it's 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 quite inspiring really um I don't know how do you feel about it personally um I I just want to iterate I I I would not iterate but I just want to say like they aren't like graffitiing campus it is sidewalk outside of like directly outside of the campus as well like I just because I just want to make sure people aren't like oh like they're like destroying the campus like no they're not destroying the campus like they're right outside I just want to make sure um that's said for them um and those people yeah but they're even being mindful in that sense they're even making sure that they can't be tarnished by damage like air quotes damaging university property because they're they're being mindful enough to take it outside of the campus Mm -hmm. but remaining close enough that people will still kind of make the connection between the two Yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely yeah um so I I have a lot of thoughts about specifically the LGBTQ community and the church, um, especially because it is so prevalent within my family and I see the effects of it um, and, and how much pain it causes um, and, and really kind of lines that are drawn of what you can and can't do anymore. Um, and a lot of people are like this new generation that's coming in is going to affect a lot of change. And I really don't think so. I think the change that needs to be affected now will happen in 20 to 40 years. Wow. Um, because like currently our prophet right now, he's 94 years old. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. 94. I think that's like, the age of our queen I don't like like he's an old man and he has just come into power like three years ago so he like I am currently as like I am an advocate for changing doctrine and so are like 20 year olds or so so we have to wait about 70 years for these people to step into power and to create actual change and the real thing is, is will they be able to step into power with the radicalized thoughts that they have? Um, and so that's like the next big question of like, like, and, and there's a lot of nepotism and whatnot involved as well, if you really look at the lineage of people who come up into power and stuff. Um, so there's those questions, but then there's also like, um, the church has always had a trend of always being really behind. Um, there was a lot of segregation in the church all up until 1971. That was the first time that Black people were able to enter into the temple was in 1971. Wow, okay. Yeah, and so, like, they have a really big trend of being really behind. In the 1960s was when segregation started to happen, desegregation started to happen, and they finally stepped up to the plate in 1971, and it still took a really long time for people to still be accepting of it. Um and so I really don't see a lot of change happening for another 20 or so years. And even then I don't see much change happening within inclusivity um, because for them to say that it's okay for gay members to be married in the temple, they would have to be rejecting basically all the doctrine ever. Yeah. Like they, they would have to be saying that God was wrong in the garden of Eden when he said marriage is between a man and a woman when he created Adam and Eve, they would have to be saying like over 200 years of teachings is wrong, that our founder is wrong, yeah. that all of the things that they have been teaching is wrong. 
And that's one thing that the church is not very well known for is apologizing or admitting fault. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that they're never known for. They but just what these faith, what these faith-based groups are very good at a lot of the time is taking a specific piece of doctrine and suddenly interpreting it in a way that they feel fits their current message. Yeah. So perhaps we can hope for something like this as a revelation in years to come. But I think it's important to highlight what you've just said there around how historically that has not been what's happened, um, yeah. which, is, which is unfortunate because a lot of these faith-based groups position themselves as progressive as a way to introduce new members to the fold. But then as a 94-year-old in charge whose ideologies and belief system probably lies way back in when before even desegregation mm-hmm. happened. How is it now in terms of, of uh, uh, the, 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 the racial identity within the LDS church? Are they, are they welcoming of people from different ethnical backgrounds? Or do they position themselves to be and then perhaps are not so much when it comes to actually accepting people from different backgrounds into the into the, the church itself? It depends who you ask um, is really a big thing. Um, I remember um, my mom told me when she was first um, entering into my dad's side of the family. So my dad's side of the family, all of them grew up LDS. Um, and she is a little bit tanner than me and like I feel like I'm pretty white I feel like I'm a white person Um, so she's a little bit tanner than me she looks like she has like a nice little gold tan or whatever on her body but she doesn't look like black or dark or anything in in my personal opinion Um, and there is a scripture um, there's a scripture in the book of Mormon so there's Nephites and Lamanites and they're always fighting and uh, they switch places of who's good guys and who's bad guys. But in this current moment, the Nephites are the good guys who are following God and the Lamanites are like idolizing idols and, and having sex and partying and whatever. Um, so God cursed them with blackness. Um, which, yeah, he cursed their skin with blackness. So it's like literally what the verse says. And second Nephi is something, something. It says God had cursed their skin with blackness to be able to know what seed not to mix. So like there's white people and now there's black people and you don't mix your seed um, to create mixed race kids. Like So um, that was like something that was like really big controversy um, really recently now that people are like starting to realize like, that's not okay. Like to say that like, you're cursed with being black like that's not okay and like my mom would be called a Lamanite wow, <laughs> by my dad oh my goodness okay because she was a convert and she was from like South America and so like I said it depends on who you ask some people are really great and they just really don't care um about your race and they have really big issues with that verse and that doctrine some people are like yeah black people were cursed they're not bad now people now but that's their lineage mm-hmm. and it's like no (laughs) that's not how it works so yeah um 
that that's like the origins of the gospel is it comes from that right um yeah in that verse and so yeah there's a lot of controversy and and kind of like people like interpret it of like oh like their countenance became darkened or their spirit skin became black and it's like but like even then like your like soul spirit skin like that was like there's really no good way to explain that verse off no no but this like, this does lead me into my next question perfectly actually before we move on to sort of how, why, and when you you left the church, and that is to to quickly ask you what, when, how long ago did you officially leave? I have never. I I'm still in the process of it right now. Right. I'm waiting for them to accept my paperwork so, and let me know that my records have been removed. How long ago was it when you decided that you were going to distance yourself? It was probably after about two or so months of meeting with my bishop who told me I had to apologize to my ex-boyfriend for leading him down the path of sin. And then also being shamed for not like I wasn't able to take the sacrament and like we were doing at home sacrament meetings sometimes too. So like my dad would hand me the sacrament and I had to tell my dad no. And the only time you don't take the sacrament is when you've committed a serious sin. So like I would have my I would basically like outing myself to my dad, which I hadn't even told yet at that point about my like about having sex before marriage, and so he basically came to his own conclusions when I told him I can't take the sacrament in front of my entire family. So after like several times of having to do that and also having to do that in front of an entire congregation in the pews, um, I just was like, why? Like, why am I doing this? And because we were doing at home church, I just stopped, I just stopped showing up. And I just stopped attending meetings. And it kind of just spiraled into like, the more I didn't attend, the more I was like, this is kind of really fucked up. And a lot of the thought processes that I have and beliefs that I have of I'm a horrible human being or different things like that is really fucked up. And that's not okay. No, it isn't, um, especially not when you've been through this traumatic experience with this ex-partner who pressured you into an activity that you didn't necessarily 100% wanted to participate in. And then you're mm-hmm. being told that you are the sole perpetrator in that interaction because yeah. you led him down the path of sin when you were actually the person that said no, 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 and then didn't say anything at all, which was that person's indication of you saying yes, even though you'd already said no, which is disgustingly wrong and such a violation of your everything, of your everything, of of your beliefs, of your personality, of your personal feelings in that moment, of your sexuality. It was an invasion of everything that never should have happened. And the fact then that you are blamed for that is atrocious and really hard for somebody listening to that experience to comprehend because... It's not easy to have those initial sexual interactions, whether you are 
actively seeking them or whether you have said no thank you it's those, those initial experiences as a woman they're uncomfortable they're painful they're difficult yeah. uh even more so I imagine if you aren't sure about going through with them in the first place mm-hmm. um you know for somebody that's wholeheartedly agreed to that experience with somebody else I imagine it's mm-hmm. different it's different to somebody who said no 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 okay I'm just going to lay here and not say anything because mm-hmm. you you've obviously made the decision for the two of us that this is what's yeah. going to happen right now and then for you to be told that that is your fault that you have brought that onto yourself and not only that led that person down the path of sin I can't even begin to wrap my mind around how that happens. How is that? Yeah. How is that transpired? Um, yeah. and th- th- there's a lot of stuff that I've read on 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 Mormonism specifically around the light people and the dark people, and how some yeah. of that may be misinterpreted. And it almost brings me back to some of the earlier coverage I did which I wanted to ask you about, which is why I asked about when you specifically started to distance yourself from the church, because I'm not sure if you'll be familiar with this particular case that I've covered in depth earlier on in the podcast, very early on in the podcast, around Laurie Vallow and Chad Daybell and all Mm -hmm. of that stuff that happened with them and their Mm -hmm. affiliation with the LDS church and them Mm -hmm. looking at light people and dark people and all of that stuff and wondered if you could give us any insight into how that was handled by the church because they associated themselves as doing God's work under the LDS banner. Mm-hmm. Um, I think <laughs> the, the insight that I have as a member during that time is I have no insight because the church refused to talk about it. And they wow, said, okay. like, don't Google it. Don't talk about it. Don't research it because it's just slander against the church. So honestly, like I know the names because it was talked about of like, these are people who like, if you Google these things, like it's bad. And you're inviting the devil and the spirit into your, like, like you're destroying the spirit in your home. So I just didn't even bother looking into it. So I only know the names from being heard of like, wow. don't Google this but that's the only insight I can give you because like I'm just now starting to look into these things of like don't look into this don't touch this don't speak about this Mm -hmm. don't look at like don't research this because I just I felt so much guilt over even thinking about those Mm -hmm. kinds of things or thinking about those names so it's just it's very interesting for me to hear your story and pick out certain parts of it from the research that I did when I covered that case very early on um so you can go back and, and and if you're just learning now it's like really early on I think it's like episode between episode one and ten there's like mm-hmm. a three-part series that I did on this um, yeah. and it's interesting because you mentioned Meridian which is a name that comes up constantly with Laurie Vallow and the justification around what happened with her and her children there's this number that I'm sure you're familiar with the 144,000 number that comes mm-hmm. up all of the time, um, which, which is not just restricted to Mormonism, but actually comes up across a lot of different faith-based movements. 
interestingly, there's a lot of talk about the temple and being sealed, light and dark and all of those things. Yeah. And I just thought it was very interesting for the LDS church to distance themselves from two people that have committed atrocious, disgusting, awful things in the name of their church mm-hmm. and, and, and use very obvious links to the LDS movement that are almost unanimous with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and no other religious movements, if, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, no, it totally does. Like I said, the church is, has a really hard time saying that they're wrong or saying that they're sorry. Um, so they're just kind of like, these people got it wrong and misconstrued it. That's it. It's not our fault. It wasn't our teachings. It, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It, they came to their own conclusion somehow. Um, so that's just, that's just the big thing about the church is the moment you give them bad press, they drop you so fast. Um, and you could literally be the highest level that you can be. Like there have been apostles who have been excommunicated. Wow. Like you can reach up to that level and still like be dropped and removed and never talked about again. Right. Okay. So, so how, why, when did you leave the church and what has your life been like since? Um, so yeah. So like I said, my teenage years, I kind of started feeling a lot of guilt and it made it harder to want to go to church. Um, And so that's kind of when it first started of like dragging my feet going to church. And then when I was um, 18, I went to college and it was like 30 minute drive from my parents' house. But like, I wanted to live on campus. I didn't want to make that commute. And so moving out, I stopped attending church. And because like, I just had no motivation to want to go. I didn't have somebody forcing me to go because my roommates were in LDS and that's not something I made sure of. And, um, and so like, I just kind of stopped going. And honestly, like, I really enjoyed it. I really like, I really liked having a second Saturday, as it said within the ex-Mormon community is like your second Saturday um, to be able to get homework done, to be able to do things before I went and had dinner with my family and, and different things like that. Um, and then, um, I started dating my boyfriend and, and then my ex-boyfriend at the time, and then things happened and I felt so much guilt from it. And so I started reattending church and also I was approaching the age of 19. So there was a lot of pressure to become a, like to go on a mission. And so I was like, I need to start prepping myself for these things and start going to these things. And so I went back to church for maybe even two months, if that. Um, And I like, this was literally my first meeting with my bishop. This is the first time I had ever met him, ever talked to him was when I confessed to him the things that happened to me in my relationship. And he was like, cool, we're going to start the repentance process. You know, let's take the sacrament, blah, 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 blah. Um, And we kind of just started that process. That was like my first interaction with him. And like first time speaking, I confessed all of these things and he asked all these in-depth questions. Um, And so, yeah, so after about two months of that, and like I said, of rejecting the sacrament in front of my family, in front of my friends, um, and in front of my leaders, it just, it finally came to a point of like, why? And I just really didn't understand why I was feeling so much guilt for something that wasn't my fault. 
um, especially because like at that point I had become like a huge advocate for understanding sexual health, understanding consent and um, like I had become even more independent and free thinking um, since moving out. And um, I was just like, I'm another person who like I, I would read about on social media and be like, why do you feel guilty? You like, it's clearly not your fault. And I was like, I'm, I'm one of those people now. And so then I just stopped going, like I said, and because we were doing like at home church because of COVID and stuff, um, people didn't think twice about it. And, um, and finally, after Elder Holland's talk, that was kind of the last straw for me. And I was like, I'm pulling my records. I want no association with this gospel. I want, I do not want them to be able to announce that the church is growing during general conferences and be like, look at these numbers and have my number included in there. I do not want to be included in having missionaries come knock on my door. I do not want to be included in activities. I want no association with this church. The only association I'll have is when I'm supporting my brother, my little brother and the things that he's doing and supporting my family. And that's it. So Um, is there a shunning process that's involved with somebody that disassociates themselves from the LDS church? Yeah, so um, when I put in my excommunication papers, um, I actually made sure to have a conversation with my parents beforehand um, to let them know that one, I'm leaving the church and two, I'm putting, uh, not excommunication papers, but I'm pulling, but I'm putting in my records that I want my records removed. Um, and because what the bishop, the, so technically it's supposed to be a personal process between you and your bishop. It is hardly ever so. He will talk to your friends and your family and anybody he can get his hands on who knows you. Wow. To pressure you into staying and to be like, are you sure this is a decision you want to make to remove all of your eternal blessings to be able to never enter the kingdom of God? Like you have to have several meetings with him, whatever, to make sure that this is like a sure final thing that you want to do. And he'll send missionaries to your home. He'll send people to your home with baked goods and different stuff. And so I sent, I, I, I had to sit my parents down before I decided to give my bishop that paperwork because I knew he was going to reach out to them. And so I gave him the paperwork and he reached out to my parents and my parents were like, yeah, we know. And it breaks our heart, but she's like, and that's the thing that I love about my parents is like, at the end of the day, they're like, as long as you're not being like a really horrible person, we love you. And, and that's that was like it, the same thing with my father coming out. Mm-hmm. Is they were like, you're just, you're a good person. Like, yes. why would we, why would we be mad? Because you love somebody. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's really no, there was no big turmoil or fight over it in our family. And so that's just kind of like, they were like, you know how we feel. We feel this is the one true gospel, the one way for our family to stay united for the eternities. But if this is a choice you need to make for yourself, then you do that. As long as you're happy and you're being a good person, that's all we care about. And so that's what they told my bishop. And my bishop was like, well, like, you should try and talk to her to, like, get her to stay, to get her to come. And they were like, this is a decision she's made. And so I'm currently in the battle between the church <laughs> to get my records pulled. Um, and it usually takes um, somebody about eight months to a year to get their records pulled. And, like, you have to get your papers notarized by a government official and all this different stuff, like, go through this whole process and like sometimes people will have to hire an attorney to like from reaching out and different things and I've been lucky in the sense of like my bishop he has really no avenues besides my family to try and reach out to me and um 
and my family is pretty like supportive um, in the sense of like let her live her life. Um, so I've had a really easy time with that and I have been incredibly happy. Um, I am still honestly reprocessing um, a lot of the guilt and stuff that was instilled in me for 19 years of like guilt around literally everything. Um, it is really like like around my language, around what I drink, around what I eat, around what I wear. And just so I'm trying to reclaim things like that. So like I'll wear a cropped top or I'll wear a lacy bra or, or something like that of like those seem like really little things but like they're huge and in my opinion for me because like I know the moment I step out onto the street I'm proclaiming myself as somebody who is not part of the church anymore and I am drawing that line in the sand of like yes I am wearing a bikini the the horrendous like the like how dare I I'm such a whore kind of a thing like but like just reclaiming that and and reclaiming my body and my autonomy and it's been really exciting. It's been really hard. Um, like my roommate can attest sometimes I'll come in at 2 a.m. and be like, I have another trauma memory. Let's unpack this boys. Like, and we just talk about how like, this is a really fucked up memory that I have and it's really weird. And then he's like, yeah, that's awful. And I'm like, yep. And then we move on. And so it's just kind of really cool to be able to have that process of like, finally being okay with the idea that I had really good times uh, but I also had really bad times and that's all okay but I'm leaving it all in the past and I'm becoming a new person who doesn't have to explain myself to anyone but myself um, and I don't have to justify my actions or find ways around different things such as supporting the people I love to be able to attend and, and feel worthy to to be in certain buildings or places um so it's been really nice honestly it's been really freeing um and I remember the first day that I just realized the church wasn't true it felt like the floor fell out from under me um because the church really tries like its tendrils are in everything and so I really like questioned everything that I knew to be true um but as, over the last few months just has been kind of like like it's okay if God doesn't exist if if that's something that it is then that's okay it's okay if I drink alcohol like it's it's okay it's like I'm not gonna burn in hell and like just reprocessing those feelings of like maybe this is like Satan just tempting me um and and reaching out to different communities such as ex-Mormon community on Reddit um has been really nice and um, really helpful. So, yeah, but like I said, it's honestly the most freeing experience. I don't regret it for a second, even though it's been one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. So you've spoken there about kind of having the forethought to approach your family before making the official decision Mm -hmm. and let them know that, you know, this is what I am planning on doing. This is what I am going to pursue. Um, mm-hmm. I hope you will respect me and appreciate me and stand with me and work out some kind of way to still continue with your religious beliefs, but support me as an individual outside of the church as well. If you can't, mm-hmm. then just know that I'm still going to be making this decision with or without you. Um, and you have found a support network with the person that you live with where you can talk about 
experiences that you've both had, recollections that you're having at any given point that you can reflect on together and have those reflections in a conversation so that it's not just you kind of remembering things and having to go through them all on your own. You do have somebody there as a counterpart to those familiar reflections that you're having and so you're not on your own there. So what pieces of advice would you have for for people who might be experiencing some of the things that, that you yourself have experienced in the LDS church? Um, you're not alone, um, for starters. And my next big thing would just be like, make sure you have a safe space first. Um, I know when I was 16, if I told my parents I wanted to pull my records, I wouldn't have a safe space. Uh, the home would have become a very negative energy and it would have been hard to coexist together. So if you are looking into leaving, make sure that you have some sort of backup plan because the church really does wrap its fingers around your family um, or, or the loved ones that you have that you may be residing with. So just make sure that you have safety and somewhere to be um, if you choose to leave. Um, and it's hard. The, the church does not let you go easily. Um, but it's okay to want to leave. Um, you're not a horrible human being and like it's not Satan trying to tempt you it's not God trying to punish you Um, and then just also um, like to to find communities out there like Reddit is beautiful in that sense of like especially if you are currently having to stay in a home um, to be able to vent uh, to reach out to people to get advice to get love um, to get, um, like people who, um, validate you and like, cause the church likes to gaslight you. So like to know that you aren't going crazy, <laughs> um, those are very real things. And it's, it's, again, it's okay. Um, and just like be who you are. And, um, I think also the biggest thing as well, if you choose to leave, give your family time to grieve. Um, this is something that I didn't realize until my dad pointed out the church heavily teaches eternal families with a condition. And that was like the biggest thing for my dad. He was so heartbroken because he lost his eternal child. Um, his, his belief, what he's been believing for 42, 43 years now is that like his children will be sealed to him for time and all eternity if they follow the blessings and the prophet and everything. And because I'm choosing to leave, he won't see me for time and all eternity. The moment he dies, it's over. He, he will be able to visit me, but he will never be able to live with me ever again. And that is the same grieving process your family is going through. And so, yes, it is very, very hard um, to have family who may not accept or understand or want to support you, but you have to just give them time to grieve, especially if it's something they were raised in, because this is their whole life. This is everything that they know to be true that you are rejecting. And um, 
also let them have that space because you also need your space to process and you want them to accept you and love you. And, and it has to go both ways. It sucks, but it has to go both ways. Um, and you can't expect them to be perfect, but just set those boundaries and, and make sure that you guys are both living in happy and healthy ways. And if that means space, that means space. If it doesn't, then it doesn't, that's awesome. But um, your family is not blood, it's what you choose. And um, you, you have people out here who want to love you, who want to support you and be there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really, but you will be okay. It's not forever and it is okay to be angry and sad and grieve. Those, those are natural emotions. But mm-hmm. again, there, there is happiness because that's the beautiful thing. The church likes to say there's no true joy outside the church. It's a lie. You'll be okay. I, I am happy. I am healthy. I am happier than I've ever been in my entire life. And I'm not part of the church anymore. So I, I think that's a testament in and of itself um, that you, you can be genuinely okay and happy and glorious outside the church. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that last piece there that you've said is actually kind of made me well up a little bit because um people should be celebrated all the time whether they are in their faith-based groups or not and uh and I think that sometimes outside of the church there are some amazing people that you can come into contact with and I've had some incredible experiences on this podcast and you know this being one of them this is my introduction into the LDS church and you've come here to give me your story and you've told us so much about your orientation about personal experiences and things that have happened to you and it's extraordinary because I'm not somebody with a faith-based background but I still get to be privileged enough to hear your story and your experiences. And I'm not necessarily somebody that would be, air quotes, allowed to be approached uh, (laughs) by a lot of people inside these types of faith-based groups because we're Mm -hmm. having these candid conversations about negative, perhaps negative experiences within within the the group itself so I mean it's interesting because this is probably the exactly the type of thing that is um encouraged not to participate in as somebody as an (laughs) you know an active church an active church member would decide against coming to talk to somebody like myself but it's overwhelming sometimes because I think here is somebody 19 years old 19 years of being told not to speak to somebody like me who is here right now speaking to me and and having this (laughs) extremely insightful honest and candid conversation about the experiences that you've had and it is very overwhelming because you are an individual and you do have strength and you've gone to your family and and you stood up for yourself and said, these are the things that don't sit right with me. And this is my decision and you can stick with me or you can decide 
that you don't want to stick with me, which means that I'll go on the journey on my own. And that is such a huge undertaking for somebody of only 19 years old to say, like, you're with me or you're not. You know, I will appreciate the fact that you want to continue with your faith. But I won't be there with you. And if you want to support me, you can. But if you don't, then I'll do it all on my own. And that is a very passionate and positive message to send to people who might be in two minds about what they want to do next in their situation if they're in a similar high demand religious group that 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 mm-hmm. has a shunning process in place um or you know this whole disfellowshipping thing that happens um or excommunication thing that happens so it's it's remarkable really that you've been able to weigh the pros and cons and still stand your ground and say this is what I want for me this is what Mm -hmm. I want to do and since then you've had these beautiful experiences with people inside the church outside the church and experiences Mm -hmm. within yourself where you've realized that this is the happiest you've ever been and for you personally this was the right decision to make so all there is left to say really is thank you so much for coming on the show and for telling us this story and letting listeners understand that if they make the same decision that you have made there is a way for them to experience positivity and happiness and for them to know that if they take some of the advice on board that you've given, there is the chance and opportunity that they too might be able to experience some of the things that you have since leaving the LDS church. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to talk about this and I'm I'm really glad I'm able to share something. I think it's important that people understand what the church fully extends is and it can be a good thing for some people. Um, For some others like myself, it wasn't. And, And that's okay. So, yeah. I also think that, again, I say this after almost every interview, this is especially because it's just the introduction to the movement. And this is, you know, something we spent a lot of time speaking about. We've probably mm-hmm. only scratched the surface of what yeah. there is to discuss. <laughs> and I always feel like I need to have like 10 hours of, of, of conversation <laughs> with people to really understand and grasp exactly what it is that we are discussing but hopefully people can take away the 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 brief introduction that we've been able to give Mm -hmm. here today and your personal experiences especially into the lgbtqia plus position of the lds church and everything that's happening at byu at the moment i really appreciate being able to give the listeners the standpoint on what what's happening there and where the church positions themselves on on that community group at the moment so hopefully if anything else we've given an introduction to LDS FLDS Mormonism and a perspective of one person's life growing up in the church in Utah and the types of experiences that somebody growing up in that environment might have so 
aside from that, maybe more people will come forward and be willing to share their experiences after this episode airs. And, and that's the biggest thing that we can hope for. So thank you so much for coming and sharing your story, for allowing us to hear your experiences, some of them obviously very personal traumatic still recovering from and still learning and still developing and and all of those things so I appreciate you coming forward and speaking out when all of this is so fresh to you and you're still in the process of actually separating yourself from the church so thank you so much for your time today Caroline and I really really hope that you enjoy the rest of your day perfect have a great night thank you thank you bye take care that is the end of this week's episode don't forget to get your crime con tickets today by using the word cult at the checkout follow me on twitter and instagram at cult vault pod sponsor me at patreon.com forward slash the cult vault and email me at cult vault podcast at gmail.com i'm your speaker casey and this has been the cult vault